Welcome to Respawning Fire, the kick-ass irreverent gaming podcast from affable idiots. I am Holden Depardo. I'm here with... Chad Michael Ennis. Oh. Yeah, you are. And we've got the dreamiest fan base of all time joining us from That's all so over dreamy. the world right now. Every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, put us in your ears with your favorite podcast service or put us in your eye holes. These things. You can see it if you're watching through your eye holes. By searching for Respawning Fire on YouTube, there's an example of eye holes being presented by Chad Michael Innes right now. So if you're not, if you're only oh. listening, you missed out on beautiful eye holes. Shoot them when you see the whites of their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you call me a red coat? That's right. We've gone into the third dimension with 2D video. And if you want to add the fourth dimension of time, you can do that by watching us record it live. <gasps> that is at twitch.tv slash affable idiots every sunday night at 8 p.m eastern like we're doing right now and you already know that if you're watching it right now so why don't i even tell you that today's episode is brought to you by affable idiots which we'll tell you about later on in the episode that's it for the housekeeping but we have game court to get into right now this is an attorney-based strategy for determining game character guilt every week we put your favorite video game characters and villains on trial for the heinous crimes they've committed Chad and I will argue for and against the defendant, and it's up to you to decide on Twitter in the following days the fate of said character. This week, our defendant is none other than Link. <gasps> All rise for the Honorable Judge Caputo. <laughs> Chad will be showing us a video. Oh, you're standing rise, up. please. <laughs> All rise, Holden. You need to stand the fuck up, please. Nope. <laughs> Happy Baltimore Day. <laughs> Honorable is, Judge is, Kabuto the Pokemon. <laughs> um, Chad's gonna be showing us a video of Link vandalizing a building in Hyrule Castle, but just by destroying all the vases. Is that up there, Chad? Yeah, it's 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 running. Oh, okay, it's I have running. a delay in the Twitch stream I'm watching, so I can't see. I will be the prosecution this time. Chad will be the defendant. Ooh, actually, and once we the, the GIF is running. Do you see oh, it on the Twitch stream? No. I think it's just a solid yeah. image. It's just a solid image. That's okay. You get the idea. The, for those of you at home, it's a it's Link, a young child, terrorizing. Uh, sorry, we're gonna keep it. We're gonna keep it objective. Destroying pots in a castle with a guard standing nearby, doing nothing. <clears throat> that is the well, evidence at hand. That is, uh, I will be running the defense for our client, Link Lobotomabi. <laughs> Link's last name, Lobotomabi. Holden will be running prosecution. <clears throat> prosecution opens with their opening statement. Holden, go. Yes, I am representing the royal family of Hyrule because their property was vandalized as well as money stolen from the pots that were broken and vandalized. This was done by a miner of the name of Link no last name. Lobotomabi. The prosecution is... We covered this. <laughs> Have we? His name is Link Lobotomabi. <laughs> the prosecution is seeking service hours for vandalism since he is only a minor and also paying back all the money that was stolen from the vases. He can charge those back uh, and recurring payments over time. We also want to add charges to the Hyrulean guard who ignored the crime happening in front of him and just wanted to talk about ghosts as opposed to stopping Link from committing the vandalism that you can all clearly see in the video. And that is our opening case. <clears throat> Hi. 
I'm Chad Michael Innes, and I represent the defense for Link Lobotomabi. <laughs> As you can see from the video, there's one thing the defense is wrong about. These rupees do not belong to the townspeople. Is this a bank? Do you see a safe? Do you see tellers? This is money left open to the public, like take a penny, leave a penny, in a pot you'd find anywhere in the world. But he is right about one thing. The guard is in on it. He used this poor young miner to vandalize and destroy federal property at the castle of Hyrule for his own doing. Now, this young boy had no idea what he was doing. He was simply following the law as he thought was just because it came from a soldier. That is what we are arguing here today, sir, that Link Lobotomabi is innocent of all crimes and that the true perpetrator, who will go on trial at a later date, is the guard we see doing literally nothing at all in the video evidence. <clears throat> Thank you, defense. You are, I mean, sorry, prosecution, you are open for arguments. Go. <laughs> so I would definitely challenge the idea that the guard was helping out Link in any way. He was clearly just being negligent to what was happening in front of him. If you were to go to the location yourself, if you have a copy of the game, which is also a real location... <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about ghosts the entire time and he's he's just saying he's bored and he wants to see a ghost because it would be more entertaining i guess than the child breaking pots in front of him at that moment so there definitely should be charges there is no conspiracy there's also no evidence of a conspiracy being presented <clears throat> i would like to uh oh uh, one more thing as well yes, that's yes. public property which means that it's technically part of the state as well so if you can vandalize public property that is still vandalism it doesn't really change the charges being presented uh respectfully your vandalism <laughs> objection <laughs> <laughs> you're out of order uh sorry i'm trying to load in this other version of it to see if it actually runs the gif and it is not running, but it's bigger on the screen. Oh. Great. Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, so we can, we can all see from this that, yes, there is vandalism going on. However, the young boy is not at fault. You can tell that not only is the soldier not doing anything. And uh, how, did you, how did you put it? Excuse me, sir. Holden, how did you put it? He was, say he was, he was bored and interested in ghosts. Bored, interested in ghosts, and, and had a flagrant disregard for what was going on in front of him. Uh, you can see in the actual GIF, if it were play, that not only <laughs> does the guard not do anything, but he actually follows with not only his eyes, but his body link around the room as he destroys pots, meaning that he's very much aware of what is going on. And in fact, you might say that he's leading him via the motion on his body to tell him what to destroy next, indicating that he is, in fact, the kingpin of the vandalism operation, meaning that he is controlling young Link, who had no other choice than to obey the law. That is my closing statement as the, pros as the defense for young Link Lobotomabi. I rest my case. <laughs> and that closes Game Court. You can vote on Twitter poll. It'll be releasing on Tuesday? It will be releasing on Tuesday, shortly after the okay. episode. Uh, okay, yes, cool. go to the poll. It will be open for a few days. I will tweet. <laughs> I'm going to tweet the actual GIF of this so people can see it in motion as well. Uh, so you have some kind of context outside of the video of this. All right. Now that we have that ser very serious business <clears throat> out of the way, Chad, what have you been playing this week? I've been playing three games of note. One game 
Uh, Bioshock Infinite. I am literally like 20 minutes away from the end, but we had to, I had to stop and, and do this podcast because I love you and I love our listeners and I made a commitment a long time ago and I'm going to uphold that commitment because I'm not a floozy, I'm not a cheater, and I do what I promise. So yes, Bioshock Infinite, I'm playing for our barf game, which is Backlog Accomplishment with Respawn and Friends, which is a game that we encourage everyone to go and play themselves if you miss it throughout your, uh, your time as a gamer. Um, if you that is so distracting now I know what it's like to be you when I pour water <laughs> holy shit I hate myself but I'm not gonna stop can't stop won't stop oh no it doesn't bother me it's just really funny <laughs> <laughs> I was like I just can't fucking think while you sip like is it hard to oh. think yes it is but in the grand scheme <laughs> it I is worth it I can't count how many times you've been talking about something deeply serious and I've been doing that I was like oh man what a fucking asshole I am now uh, anyway yes so I'm finishing the main game, but I'm not done because we are all also playing Burial at Sea, which are the two episodes of DLC that came out that I never got a chance to play the first time. So I'm very excited to dip my penis into that. Um, I also played two other games. <laughs> Halo Reach. I don't have to slurp like that. I'll stop doing that at the very least. <laughs> I played Halo Reach on Master Chief Collection on Xbox. Um, this is the first time I've ever actually played that game. There have been... Of the six games available on Master Chief Collection, I've played one, two, and three. And four. I played four with with Tom a few years ago. Uh, so this was exciting for me. To, we're, Matt and I are trying to go back and play all of the Halos before uh, Infinite comes out. And we decided Reach we'd start Reach was from Bungie, right? That was the last Bungie Halo. Yes, game. it was from Bungie. Okay. Oh, wait. Ooh. I can't remember whether the 343 Studios logo was it during Reach or whether it was during MCC. I know four definitely was 343. Oh, man. I want to say, yes, Reach was still Bungie. And I looked it up and said, developed by Bungie, published by Microsoft in 2010. So, yes, it is Bungie. Don't look it up. Stop looking up. Look at me. My eyes are up here. If you want an episode about boobies, go listen to AAWI this year. I mean, this week. (laughs) (laughs) Um yeah, so Halo Reach, we played through in two set in two sessions. It took us about seven hours, maybe. And the last time, man, we stayed up until one o'clock in the morning, Matt's time. That poor kid. Poor kid. He's older than me, I think. I don't know. We're all kids in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> we are all God's children. That's right. Must protect the children. That's right. Uh, poor guy had to go to work the next day and was dead tired. But I sat in quarantine, as you do. Anyway, the game, Halo Reach, great. Uh, there, I, the game itself, like it felt fun, but it's by, by no stretch of the imagination, my favorite Halo game. I Uh, think the Zelda video picture is still up. Oh, fuck my ass. You're right. It's still up. Uh, not anymore. Your bomber. Uh, your honor. Sorry. Not your bomber. Okay. Now you can talk about Halo Reach, the game. Yeah. (laughs) So Halo Reach, uh, there were, there were a a lot of things that were interesting about it. Like seeing the gang, the, the cast of characters that's following you around. Each of them are kind of their own unique thing. Um, I was bummed that I didn't that I myself wasn't cool. Like I was part of this gang, but everyone else was cool and had their own unique character and color and thing. Like I'm a guy who carries a big fucking gun. I carry a grenade launcher. I have a sword or knives and shit. I have a skull painted on my. And then I'm just like this really bland, colorless blob. Um, <laughs> so and then of course playing with Matt, there were two of us. So even more insult to injury, colorless blobs playing Halo Reach. So I was a little bummed that like my character was really boring because we already talked about at length in our text message said how cool it is that Master Chief exists and how cool Master Chief is. Um, and 
No, he's so, lame. Yeah, I was a little bummed by that. <laughs> the music was really upsetting for me in this game. Ooh, really? When Yeah. When you think about Halo, one of my favorite things about Halo is the score. You got the... Yeah. None of that? The, oh, the music in this game stretched from like... There were times when I'm like, what the fuck are we listening to? What is this? Like crazy ass death metal? <laughs> like there was a part where I was like, man, I kind of feel like I'm in Doom 2016 right now with the crazy death metal that's going on that didn't match whatever was going on. Really? In Halo? That seems really out yeah. of place. And then there was just like, sometimes there was no music at all. I'm like, this is fucking weird. And um, like during huge firefights in the middle of space and there's just nothing. Especially, so there's a, there's a part where you're doing space battles where you're like flying in ships, which was again, boring as fuck. Um, and and is completely silent, just nothing but for a good twenty minutes while Matt and I are talking about whatever the fuck we're talking about. Yeah, and if their excuse um, is well, it's space should be silent, there should be no pew pew noises either. Then, so yeah, put the music right? in, right? So put the music in. Um. So yeah, I was really disappointed by the music, which kind of made the whole game feel kind of weird. You could shoot ostriches, which was really fun. We did that for a good little bit, shooting ostriches, trying to run them over. You can't run them over. Um, but yeah, it was it was weird to go back to a game from 2010 and realize how far first-person shooters have come and in such a gradual way that we didn't notice it happened. Like, to go back and see, oh my god, you, you, everyone mentions, right, playing these right off the bat, it's like, oh my god, there's no aiming down sights in Halo. That's so crazy. And in these older games, like, yeah, that was weird. But also what's weird is that, like, the action button is your right bumper. Like, so many times if I want to interact with something or pick up a gun or something like that, I do that with the right bumper. That does And I was weird. like, and I, so this whole time I'm hitting X, which on the on the <laughs> stupid-ass Xbox controller is the equivalent of the square button on the PS4 DualShock, which is superior. I'm just kidding. They're both great controllers. Anyway, so I'm hitting X all the time to try to do stuff, and I'm just meleeing instead of actually trying to pick up a weapon. Like, the sprint is not, like, an action that you can do. It's a power up that's limited, and it's tied to the X button as well. You press it, and you sprint for a short time. Like you click the left thumbstick, and nothing happens. Zooming in is not on the left trigger; it's by clicking the right thumbstick. And so I'm I'm constantly throwing grenades, trying to zoom in. <laughs> Fuck it. Uh, so it's so weird to see like, wow, in 2020, we've come to such a standard of like X is the the like the bottom button's the jump button, left button is for like interacting with shit. You don't jump with triangle anymore. Like we have so many things. Like this is how you play a first-person shooter. And to go back and play something from a decade ago and be like, "Whoa, we thought this was great at the time, but it turns out it's backwards." <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it was it was fun to play through with Matt, uh, but I don't think I'll ever return to Halo Reach. But next up is Halo Collector's Edition Anniversary CE. Shabbat Shalom. Interested in that? I have a. But- surprised me that one's going to be even more outdated <laughs> oh i know i know but what's weird is that i know they updated like obviously visuals and audio and things like that and you can kind of click <clears> between <throat> the two but I, did they did they integrate like a newer control scheme to it too is there no like setting where it's like give me the classic controls or give me modern controls because that would make i don't know sense there probably both. was but part of me wanted to go back and like experience it as it was made and be like mm-hmm. this is halo but I think like I've got enough of that now. So if there is on Halo CE, I'm totally gonna gonna go back and, and change the controls up. You also played a, a really good first person shooter as yeah. well. One sorry, one last thing I wanted to mention about Halo is that we played through on heroic difficulty, and it was like 
the difficulties of Halo, the, they don't add anything other than just making the enemies bullet sponges. And I don't think I'm going to do that again for any of the rest of the one. Because, like, it's not fun to just sit there and shoot endlessly at one bad guy, go through a clip of two, three hundred bullets in your assault rifle, just waiting for him to die. Like, that's not fun. It's, the, it's like the actual strategy of battle and, <clears throat> and managing different arrangements of enemies coming at you and how do you deal with this elite while you've got five grunts over like that's what makes things fun it's not bullet sponge so i think we're going to play through it on normal it's also kind of the i don't want to say the cheapest way but it's kind of the cheapest way of getting a game to be difficult yep and then yeah i played a really good shooter call of duty war zone or as we like to call it here in the colloquial biz war boner um (laughs) Played, this was the free Call of Duty Battle Royale mode that came out on Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday. Those are the days of the week. Which one did it come out on? I don't Tuesday, know. Tuesday, I think. Tuesday, probably. I don't, that it was sense. the 10th because it was Games Mario Games drop Day. on Tuesdays. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that came out and we played it for game night last week. And we played for maybe about two and a half, maybe three hours. And it was so fun. Like, I, yeah. in general, I'm, I'm not a Battle Royale person. I've never played Fortnite. I've never played PUBG. We played Apex a couple of times for game night. And I'm like, oh, this is fun. But like, it just it doesn't grab me. I'm not like a, I want to jump in with nothing and hope I pick up something good and then get shot and die immediately by the first person I see. And then, well, we'll wait around. But like, this makes it a little bit better for me because, one, the gunplay and gameplay is really great. And it is an Apex as well because it's from um, Respawn Entertainment. But what I like about this is the introduction of the Gulag. Like... I have a say in whether or not I come back to life in this thing. So the gulag is after you you've played and you die, you go to this like prison battle where you and one other person who's also died just go head to head and see you can kill each other first. And if you win, you get to come back to life in the game, which is really cool. It adds another layer of strategy to it. It prolongs you and your interest in every match rather than just like, oh, I died. Let me jump into the next match. Um, so I like the gulag. I like also the ability for your players to be able to buy you back with money that they find in the game. Like that means that like cool. I not only have an interest in watching my friend do it, but I'm like, oh my God, if you get this contract and you finish finding all of these things and I can finally come back to life and then I can help get us to the end. Um, so I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. I'll probably play it a couple of more times before I set it down indefinitely, but um, I liked it. What did you think? I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot as well. I think um, you're totally right that it, it kind of mitigates some of the issues I've had with Battle Royale games in the past where in Apex, it is so stressful when you land and you're like, I have nothing and there's already 30 people around me right now not yeah. usually 30 people but like it's really stressful and not in the good way because it kind of feels more like i'm gonna lose this match and i just waited to load this match just to lose it instantly whereas when i have a pistol i at least feel like i have a chance to defend myself so that that's yeah. that's a nice one um it's just it's so smooth to play it feels so mechanically good to play that's when I start playing, I'm like, oh, this is why people really like Call of Duty. Because I was definitely one of those people who I didn't necessarily hate on Call of Duty, but I kind of had this like, oh boy, here are people talking about Call of Duty again. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, okay, I get it. It's it because pl- I've been playing a lot of first person shooters in the past year. I think last year was really the most I've ever played a first person shooter. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, Me too. And a you know huge spectrum of them as well, like different types of first-person shooters. So it's good to kind of play Call of Duty and understand, okay, this is why this game stands out. It is one of the best-feeling shooters out there, like period. Um, in terms of like that multiplayer kind of style, uh, Twitch shooter style of um, 
that Call of Duty is. So that that was a really good aspect to it. Also, um, Matt and I were talking about how the inventory management in Apex is obviously better than it has been in other Battle Royale games, just from what I've heard. I haven't played PUBG either. I haven't played Fortnite. I've actually played one round of each game, but I don't have like experience with it. I don't really remember how their inventory systems work, but I just remember people complained about that a lot. And this, there's yeah. really no inventory management. You just Exactly. Pick up that's stuff. what I love about this. It's so nice. It's just there isn't like, oh, I have to drop something in order to pick up ammo for that. And now I have, oh, I picked up a new Mm -hmm. gun, but all my ammo is for the other shitty guns. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about that. And you can pick up a regular. You can also pick up sniper ammo, which is great, even if you don't have a sniper, which is also great because then you're like, you know, right now I could use a sniper and there is a sniper rifle over there. So you kind of have this a little bit of like a thinking on your feet for the situation and the tools that are available to you, even if it's not directly in your inventory. So it's it's a really, really good balance there. I liked a lot. And then on top of that, uh, just the world itself is fun to navigate with being able to hop into cars and run away. The communication between the team members of like there are a lot of situations where like we were at a, I think we were at the supermarket or the airport, I think. And I was really worried because I had collected a lot of money and it told me I was the top earner or I was marked or something like that. I can't yeah. remember which one it was. And You're I started hunted. to panic because I'm not good at this game. I'm really bad at it. So I'm like going, mm-hmm. Dallas, Matt, can you come bail me out? Because I got a message that's scary and I need some help right now. <laughs> and <laughs> so we were kind of communicating back and forth and kind of had this escape plan where Dallas was in a car and he's about to get away. And then I was running over to get to you know to that car really quickly and just kind of like that a little escape plan we had made together, even though it was kind of very small and prompt. It wasn't the biggest moment of the whole game. It still felt really cool. I liked moments like that. Um, there was also one moment where I had died. Dallas was in an escape car getting away, and I was, like, parachuting down to get to where he was quick enough so that, you know, he didn't get screwed. There were some cool, like, kind of tense moments that kind of just came through with how the systems work in conjunction with each other. Um, yeah. The Gulag. I'm really glad you felt like you had a say in uh, whether you died or not. I felt like I just went to the gulag to die again. But that's my own. <laughs> that's how Matt was too. Matt literally lost a hundred percent of the time. And he, went, and he went like maybe 12, 13 times. Except yeah. for so here's the thing. I, I kind of did this just subconsciously, but Ryan, there was a match Ryan and Matt and I were all playing, and Ryan just like, if you just rush him, or maybe it was Dallas. Dallas if you just rush him thing, every rush single him. time. Yeah. And then Matt did that. He's like, oh my God, I fucking did it. I got it. <laughs> and uh, that was the first time he got out of the gulag. But yeah, I, I, I like the concept of the gulag a lot. It's a great concept, absolutely. I'm just bad at the game. <laughs> so that's that's why it's tough. <laughs> and there um, was a there, what was really cool about it is that it enabled an opportunity like there's a match where we were parachuting in. This one was Ryan, me, and Matt, <laughs> and Ryan cut his parachute too early and fell to his death on landing. Oh, like no. the very first thing. And he's like, guys, fuck, I died. I was like, all right, I'll come get you. I get down to him. I cut my parachute too early and die right next to his body. <laughs> Matt's like, don't worry, I got you. Matt runs over, starts to revive us, gets shot to death. All three of us dead within the first eight seconds of the game. But I think Ryan and I were both able to come back from the gulag, and then we were able to revive Matt. And like our whole squad was up and running, and we were able to like continue to progress and make like 20-something for that round. Like That's really cool that we can make a comeback like that after fucking up a lot in the beginning instead of wasting an entire match. Especially in Battle Royale games where once you die, that's it. It's yeah. really nice to have that, that one opportunity. Um, that's different, though, in, in Plunger. Did you play Plunger? No, none of us did. At least uh, so Dallas, Dale, Dallas, Matt, and I played it. That mode is 
fun as fuck. Holy shit. I think yeah. I like that more than Warzone. So the big difference with Plunder is that it's not about being the last team standing. You'll right. actually just continuously revive after you die and you just parachute back down again. But it's about collecting the most amount of money or whoever gets to a million dollars first. And, and you when you be- kill someone, you take their money, right? You take uh, you take a portion of their money. So if you gotcha. die, you lose half your money. But there's this really, really good risk-reward system kind of built into that where they have areas for cash deposits where a helicopter will come down, you uh, load up a little bag with money, and then it goes back up to the helicopter. But those spots are hot. There yeah. are so many enemies around. It is dangerous. So, like... We went there, and I had, like, collectively, I think we had, like, 300-something thousand dollars pretty early in the game. So we're like, man, we are killing it. Let's deposit that money as soon as possible. I never once deposited money. I ended up with 18000 <laughs> myself, even though I had, like, 150 at one point. Like, because I just kept dying and losing it because we are trying to get to that spot. And again, I suck at this game. Sorry, Matt and Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really fun, nonetheless. It was also... It was also cool to have the contract options in yeah. in Plunder. They exist in the Warzone mode as well. I found them more useful in um, in Plunder because you can get a lot of money through doing those contracts. Um, it kind of gives you an excuse to kind of navigate around the map a little bit more. I liked that a lot. So I mean, overall, I'm actually really impressed by how good this is. I think I it's on my Xbox, so I have a hundred, I have a terabyte of storage there, so I'll keep it on there and just I'm definitely gonna play this again and again. I think. I, I think like I'm it. gonna download it on my Xbox too, just because one there are no trophies on the PS4 version, so I'm not missing anything there. But also because uh, since it's crossplay, we're using Discord for game night, and guess what integrates with the Xbox dashboard? Discord. Discord. So you don't have to use your your phone. And your headphones in your phone, and then have a different thing for you. Like you can have it all run through the Xbox, which is really cool. So we were just using the in-game chat. That seemed to work better for us, except for one small thing where on the loading screens, for some reason, it just cuts the audio off. Yeah, and that's totally fine if you're all three playing together, and it's just you three. But if we like, we had seven of us playing on game night. Yeah, yeah, or five of us, six. I don't know, but yeah, we can't all cross chat. Peeps. Dope, dope. What else did you play? I played, speaking of first-person shooters, I'm playing some more Bioshock Infinite. We will mm-hmm, talk about mm-hmm. that at the end of the month, but uh, I'm playing if you're playing it. It's it, all safer right now. If you're playing it out there, lifelong friend listening to this, watching this, looking at my my tongue. Uh, yeah, wasn't that cool what I can do with my tongue? If you're playing it, write into us and tell us about your experience with it. Matt, I know you've played it, and I know you've beat Barrel at Sea, and we want to talk about it with your experience on this goddamn show at the end of the month. Everyone else who hasn't necessarily been as vocal as Matt about it, play it and then tell us. Thank you. That's all I have to say. This has been my <laughs> TED Talk. <laughs> I also played... I played some more Sekiro. I said I was done, and I'm just not... I Hold can't, it. I can't help it. Intervention! It's so good. Intervention! <laughs> <laughs> I will play what I want, damn it. Uh, I didn't play a lot of it, but I definitely was like... Literally w- went... You know, I think I'm good on Sekiro for a little while. And then, like, an hour later, it was like, maybe some Sekiro would be good right now. That sounds like fun. Get the hell out of here. It's just so enjoyable. There's no You're game that has done. combat like Sekiro. And it's just so enjoyable. It's so amazing. So, so good. So, so good. I also went back and played another game I beat a while ago. And that was Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds. Another game that you've put hundreds of hours in that you beat 30 different ways that you need to be done with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to play it. There's and so much to play. Play Animal Crossing <laughs> Pocket Camp. Oh, I played that as well. Well, I played New Leaf, not Pocket Camp. Okay. Uh, 
but I, I don't really have anything to say about Animal Crossing New Leaf right now. Plus, we're going to talk a bunch about Animal Crossing New Horizons. So for people who don't like Animal Crossing, don't worry. I won't pollute every episode of the podcast with Animal Crossing info. Um, the Link Between Worlds is... I stand by it. It's the best 2D Zelda, or at least top-down. It's not actually 2D, but top-down Zelda game. It's pretty amazing. Now that I have played Breath of the Wild and know all about Breath of the Wild, how much of Breath of the Wild started in Link Between Worlds? Down to little things, like in Link Between Worlds, you can get monster parts for certain potions, and those monster parts look exactly the same as the monster parts in Link uh, in uh, Breath of the Wild. It's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty surprising how similar that stuff is. They're kind of like shrine-like elements to the game, where there's certain areas of the overworld that are that are hidden, and you go into that cave, or you cut down that bush, and there's a hole you can fall into, and those will lead to little tiny puzzles to figure out, just like shrines. Obviously, they are not nearly as abundant as shrines are in breath of the wild but the concept was absolutely there the non-linear approach of oh i'm just gonna go in any direction i want to like started there and they're just really good dungeons the dungeon design in that game is fantastic you have played like between worlds right Jen? yep okay good to completion every time nice. baby um i'm playing this time uh, without dying it's kind of my challenge this time i'm not gonna die and so far so good but it's I was thinking it's about fun. the surge two this week. Haven't you already beaten that game, Chad? I didn't play it. I didn't play it. But there's a there's a <laughs> in surge two you have mods that um that you can get like hey this gives you a health pack injectable this gives you uh, you gain energy faster you can chop off limbs and do that kind of stuff and there's one of them that gives you minus one thousand defense for no reason and like by the time I beat new game plus I only had like seven hundred defense total. So I was like, oh man, Holden would totally that would be really challenging. play the fuck out of this game. I hate, hate that, but you would play it. <laughs> I would only do it after I've beaten the game. I would never start the game and do it that way. Although I have considered next time there's a 2D Zelda game starting with 3 Heart Challenge. Just to make it that Ew. extra level of difficulty. Don't do that. Play, the way the, the, play it the way God intended. <laughs> and God is Shigeru Miyamoto, so... Yeah. Woof! How dare you blasphemy, birds? <laughs> that is all I played this week. Chad, that sounds good. good. Uh, let's let's move on to some fetch quests, baby. Ooh, fetch yeah. quests, baby. Got kind of a lot of fetch quests and then a lot of coronavirus updates. Yeah. Uh, so starting off with the just the normal fetch quest, no coronavirus stuff quite yet. So starting off, nearly 20 million people are using Steam today. Well, today was a few days ago. Uh, the shattering the previous record. This is from Joseph Nope at IGN. It peaked at yes. 19 million, 728,027 players, which is a million more than last month, which was that was the peak. So they just topped themselves yeah. again. All these people, quote, working from home now. Yeah, They're exactly. They're all on Steam. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of this is because of the quarantining that a lot of people are 100%. having to go through. Uh, but also, think of it this way, uh, Epic Games probably isn't hurting them that much if they keep reaching a new peak. Maybe it's well, slowing. We don't know I don't what know what Epic, the rate is. Epic Games could have been at 30 million. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they could have been high. They definitely weren't at 30 million. <laughs> Maybe 30 million people playing Fortnite, though. Yeah. Speaking of not so good, but I don't necessarily think it's really that bad. Dreams PS4 sales um, fail 
blah, Dreams PS4, PS4 sales failed to crack February's 2020 MPD list. Um, I, the article makes the point here, and I think this is pretty valid. Early access sales were not accounted for in that, and this game has technically been sold for several months to close to a year. Yeah, almost? I think this is a little bit of a non-story because that is one of a couple of things to keep in mind. One, the most passionate people about this game bought it months ago. Yeah. Um, second, NPD does not take into account <clears throat> digital sales on PSN. Um, mm-hmm. This, to me, seems like uh, like a hundred percent like a digital game. Like this is yep, a game that absolutely. people who are going to play it and who are into tinkering and making things and create like they're digital people. Um, so I'm I'm not surprised at all that this didn't crack NPD. I don't think we'll ever see Dreams on the NPD, but I don't mm-hmm. think that it's by any means yeah. failing. In fact, I think just from scuttlebutt all over Twitter and seeing things people are making, like I think it's it's actually doing really well. Yeah, it's got word of mouth. I like I totally agree with you. I, the headline doesn't sound great, and it, I mean obviously it's not good to not be in the top you know twenty five games sold, especially right. when there aren't a lot of new games that have come out recently. But yeah, like we said, like it's been out for almost a year. People who are probably buying it digitally. I don't think this is the worst thing in the world. Uh, what is interesting, though, is that Dreams developers exploring how creations could be used off PlayStation for business purposes, which this is kind of weird the more I thought about it. Think of it this way. They're going to say, hey, you can make these creations on PlayStation 4 and then use them on, say, PC. Wouldn't it like be better the opposite? Like, make them on PC and then make them playable on PS4? Well, I think that like the, the things I, that they totally outline s- in the article are like, hey, you've started experimenting with creating things in dreams and you realize, hey, man, I really have a passion for this. Maybe I want to build a portfolio so I can maybe do concept art so I can use this to apply for a job in that field. Like, yeah. That's kind of the narrative they were building in the article when they were talking about yeah. it. Oh, it makes sense. I was not thinking it doesn't make sense. It's just kind of funny if you think about, oh, yeah, make the content on your gaming console and then look at them on your you know general purpose computer that can be used to design things. It, there's a little bit of an element of like, it makes sense because it's a Sony property. They're going to keep it on their PlayStation 4. But yeah. if any property that Sony has could move over to PC, Dreams is definitely the property to do it that. It is because, and this is why people are doing it, the make it on PS4 and then export it elsewhere, is because the tools that they've made are so accessible. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. There's a reason why people are creating really amazing things in this really easily and quickly. It's because it's accessible on that. Whereas you go and try to learn something like Unity or Unreal and you're like, holy shit, I want to shoot myself in the eyes. I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that a hundred percent makes sense to me that this is that it's working the way that it is, rather than trying to get into something on PC that's really complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Google veteran Daniel Algier, 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 whatever named <laughs> a lot of respect towards him. I just said. <laughs> I'm sure he's a wonderful person. I'm so sorry. He's named the Activision Blizzard COO and president. So good for him. Uh, uh, his last start- name straight up just looks like Allegra. Allegra? You think it's Allegra? Yeah, A-L-E-G-R-E. Okay, yeah, Allegra, sure. <laughs> Al Gear. <laughs> Al Gear. I don't Daniel know. Daniel Richard Gear. Uh, so Call of Duty Warzone player count has reached 6 million in the first 24 hours. Um, that is great news. I looked up what that equivalent was for Apex Legends, and it, they did 2.5 million in their first day. So 6 million is a huge jump. I'm sure you know what's Call most Duty impressive? Had a lot to do with that. What's, what's the most impressive? The most impressive thing about that is is that 6 million people were able to download that giant-ass game in 24 hours. <laughs> because that game yeah. is huge. You have to download all of Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which is like over 100 gigabytes, in order to play that yeah. game. That's why I put it on my Xbox, because I saw the size, and I'm like, my 500 gig PS4 can't handle that. No yeah. way. I got to put Doom on that this week. 
You're not gonna Uncharted play movie. <laughs> You're going to play Animal Crossing, you filthy animal. <laughs> Uncharted movie starts shooting this month, according to Sony. It is still scheduled to release March 5th, 2021. Mm. I read this and kind of went, I doubt it. Yeah, I feel like that's gonna <laughs> I doubt it. Not because What's the, the date this not... article was written, March six or March tenth. Yeah, that's before yeah. all the movie studios said, "No, we're done now. Thank you. Yep, we're done for March." Yeah. So this story will get updated. I'm sure the movie will also get delayed just because of coronavirus alone. They yep. don't want all these actors traveling the world and staying in huge groups of a cast and crew. That's just a recipe for disaster with what's going on. So yeah, that'll change. But for now, they're saying it's, it's still on track. Thumbs up. Um, sad news here. Game Informer non-editorial staff hit by layoffs. This comes from Brendan St. Clair at GamesIndustry.biz. There were seven total people laid off. Um, very sad. Never a good yep. thing to see that. Apparently some really high-profile people, too. Yeah, yeah. On better news, new Tony Hawk Pro Skater game is reportedly in the works. This is barely, This is hardly a rumor. There's a band called The Death Set, and they tweeted, We just licensed five new songs for a Tony Hawk 2020 game. You'll be hearing this shit soon. So what's, fun, what's funny about this, what's interesting is that, uh, I mean, yeah, obviously this is there's a new game coming in, but uh, Barrett and Tim from Kind of Funny Games Daily are huge Tony Hawk fans, so they were talking about it over there. And there are a couple things to note. One, Tony Hawk and Activision have apparently been not happy with each other. They've been fighting for years now. And you'll notice that he, they said Tony Hawk 2020 game, not Tony Hawk Pro Skater, but just Tony Hawk 2020 game. So this might just be like a competing product, not published by Activision, but something completely different. Um, and then they said that they've never had, aside from one instance where you were skating in a Kiss concert, they've never had more than one song from any particular artist in a game before and that the fact that this like little known band had five licenses in there was a really interesting call uh, that being said i love tony hawk cross skater 2x on xbox and it was super cool like og xbox and i would i would try one if it got good reviews i would not no way in hell am i going to try tony hawk pro skater 5 because that thing got fucking demolished <laughs> but if it come, i'd be interested in this if, if it looks good and coming from a good studio my favorite factoid about Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 is that the disc only came with a tutorial and you had to download the rest of the game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so incredible. this is not an Activision game and it's like Tony Hawk's bringing it to someone who cares. Like I would I would be interested in looking back at this game. Yeah. Ghostwire Tokyo is planned to appear at E3 2020. This is not a rumor. This comes right from Pete Hines, the VP of Global Marketing and Communications at Bethesda. Um, so that, that's happening. Um, it, we don't know yet what Bethesda's plans are going to be for E3 because, moving on to the coronavirus update, E3 2020 is canceled due to growing concerns over um, COVID-19 virus that comes right from the ESA's mouth, the organization that hosts E3. Uh, they are looking to make online presentations a possibility, and so far a lot of companies have kind of come forward, including Ubisoft. They have announced a digital experience in lieu of E3 2020. That's from Ayana Gosa at DualShockers. And then Xbox is planning a digital event following E3's 2020 cancellation. That's from Eric Van Allen at US Gamer. So two companies, two major companies, have already announced they're doing a digital event um, in lieu of their major presentation. Square right. Enix 
They are exploring other options to make uh, up E3 2020 cancellation. They didn't say if they're doing a digital event or not on what they're doing. It's probably a digital event is is my guess. Last year, they held a, present, a presentation, but the year before that, they did a very um, dull 30-minute E3 uh, digital um, showcase. But they did do a digital showcase. So they have experience with that. I, I imagine that's where they're going to go, but they haven't said officially. Um, and then Devolver Digital and Limited Run Games will stream E3 presentations. Devolver Digital, of course, already did that anyway. I don't... Has Limited Run Games done anything like that at E3 before? Have they had... I don't remember ever seeing Limited Run Games in any kind of, like, press conference-type presence yeah, at E3. I don't think... Or even a digital showcase, but... Um, the interesting thing about Devolver is they claim there could possibly be more than just their usual digital event. I have no idea what that means. Well, they usually but apparently we'll have a, a big presence on the floor, on the show floor... So, like, they'd have to make up for that somehow. Usually their digital event yeah. is just, like, some batshit crazy couple of trailers <laughs> mix in with a bunch of, like, blood and violence and things like that for some reason. No, they're hysterically awesome. They're always really <laughs> funny to watch. But I assume they're like, okay, cool, that can't be the only thing we do now because we have to get the rest of what we would normally put on the show floor out to people as well. Yeah, so they're going to find some way to do that, but they haven't specified as to what that looks like. It'd be cool if you could download demos to, like, your PC or something like that. So that's an, an interesting thought that... I've kind of been going back and forth with, like, if they allowed the demos that you see on the show floor to be able to, like, what if I could download this to my PlayStation? Or what if I could download this to my Xbox or something like that? And I don't... I don't think... For two reasons, I don't think we're going to be able to get that. One is because people are going to data mine the fuck out of it. Like, when the PlayStation demo leaked on the store, not only were they able to, like, see the demo ahead of time that wasn't supposed to be... For Sorry. Final Fantasy VII. When the yeah, Final Fantasy VII demo leaked on the PlayStation Store, not only were people able to like see the demo, but they were also data mining things about the rest of the game from that demo. So if people release something that normally would have been played in a controlled environment at E3 on a dev kit uh, to the public, I think that's going to be hell for the developers. But then I also think about like the reason why there are demos and the reason why, and it's it's kind of it's a beta test. It's people beta testing mm-hmm. their software with people watching them the entire time so they can get an idea of, oh, while Holden's playing this, how did he choose to approach the situation? Did he run into any bugs? What did he think of this? Is that something we should change? Like They're there to watch you play the game so that they can learn mm-hmm. information about how you're playing it, what you like, what you don't like. It's not a... I mean, part of a very small part of it is probably saying hey, look at this cool thing. We're excited for you to play it. But a lot of it is like, we're gaining information and knowledge about how you're playing this and that's really valuable yeah. and that's what they're missing out on. So I don't know if that's going to be able to be served in a in a privacy-protecting way if they were to just release the demos yeah. on PS4, Xbox, and PC. And that's something we'll talk about in our main quest when we talk about <gasps> Naughty Dog. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so GDC developer uh, talks replaced by streams to sessions. So very similar to E3, they're going to do some digital showcases instead or digital those are happening like in a couple days i think yeah yeah including some new uh information about how xbox series x works yes absolutely uh really bad news here nintendo of america employee tests positive for covid19 it's from liam doolin at nintendo life um wishing you the best whomever you are wishing you the best coronavirus impact uh u.s isp suspend broadband data caps from Zermanicon at PlayStation Lifestyle. So far, this includes AT&T and Comcast. Comcast will also be providing customers on the lower-tier Internet Essentials package free service for 60 days and a boost in speed. So that's yeah, You know really what Comcast is not doing? They're not refunding me the $50 per month. I, I pay extra just for unlimited data. 
Fucking assholes. <laughs> oh, that actually is kind of shitty. Um, interesting. I actually just got it when we were looking up Halo Reach and who, who developed that. I got distracted because I got a text from T-Mobile saying, hey, we're going to give you unlimited data for, you know, this, you know, the next few. Uh, I can't remember the time frame it gave me, but that was cool. So, yeah, people's are being nice. Uh, EA cancels all live events for its competitive games and asks staff to work from home because of coronavirus pandemic, Wesley Yin Poole at Eurogamer says. Some of those events include Apex Legends Global Series, FIFA 20 Global Series, FIFA Online 4 Live Events, and Madden NFL 20 Championship Series. Good call. Yep. Gotta stop those events. Gotta stop the spread. Do you see that Spain and France, like, shut down? Yeah. Like, yeah, just like idiot. It yeah. Just uh, idiot. Italy, just like Italy, completely yep. quarantine. Restaurants, then, everything shut down. Yep, and then Austria, they um, they're limiting groups of people, to, uh, gatherings of people to five, no more than five, which is extreme. Yeah, and then we had an update as well here in America, where the Federal Reserve is going to essentially bring interest rates down to effectively zero for lending because businesses are probably going to have to lend a lot or to borrow a lot right now because of the economic impact. But they're also putting $70 billion back in the economy to help alleviate some of the the costs that businesses are accruing. So like the world is, you know, taking action. It's a little late, but they're taking action. It is late, but I there's so much that I don't think is going to be able to recover from this. Like Mm -hmm. all of, if you think about any small business, if you're a restaurant right now, if you're a retail yeah. store, like a small business retail store, and you haven't had customers and you're not going to have customers for weeks because everyone's in quarantine, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to pay your rent. You're not going to survive. You're going to have so much inventory. If you're a restaurant, you're going to have all this food that goes bad. Like there are, there are people that are going to go out of business and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different like types of, there are so many different types of jobs that are going to be lost because of this. And uh, I think whenever this all finally blows over, there's going to be a, a huge unemployment rate uh, that I don't know how we're... Uh, I mean, obviously, we're going to have to fill back that demand, but we're not going to bounce back very easily or quickly from all of this, for sure. No, we're not. And I mean, the $700 billion is going to help with stuff like restaurants and stuff like that. It's going to go towards businesses. But it's... I mean, compared to what our GDP is in America, which is like trillions of dollars, that's not going to cover everything. Right. They might have to put more in, like we'll see, but yeah, it's going to be really tough. And then on top of that, uh, last week I had mentioned that the recovery rate was outpacing the rate of new cases, mm-hmm. and that changed as well just because of Friday alone. Friday had 16,000 new cases introduced. So now we're at 150,000 cases globally, and about seventy to 75,000 people have recovered. So... It's getting shaky. The good news for things like consoles being delayed in terms of that kind of stuff, because to keep it on video games again, that mainland China is they're starting to level off in terms of new cases. They seem to really have figured out what what they're doing there. Um, That's a really good sign in terms of getting the economy back in shape in terms of manufacturing and things like that. And then if you're only thinking about that PS5 and Series X coming out in the fall, uh, it looks like manufacturing, if they're leveling off, is indicative of them really solving everything, could be back on track this year. But just depends on when things officially wrap up. Yeah. Not only are they leveling up, but like everything's starting to reopen. 
back over in mainland yeah. China too. So I'm sure they have a backlog. Like speaking strictly of like manufacturing, I'm sure they have a backlog of shit that they've got to catch up to. But mm-hmm. uh, normally console orders don't come in until the summer anyway. Like new count for new shipments and stuff like that for new designs. So yeah. uh, they've got a few months to play catch up and see how that works. Yeah. And I'm sure there's still going to be some shortages in as a result of that. But yeah, we'll we'll have more updates because it seems like every single week I have at least a bazillion stories about coronavirus to sort through. So yep, uh, still including one updated. more that we didn't quite get to yet. Fast and Furious Crossroads. Oh, I that delightful, so delicious game. The release date uncertain after the Fast Nine delay until next year. This uh, from mm-hmm. Ryan Meitzler at Dual Shockers. Um, poor Matt. That was just like yeah. Fast Nine getting delayed a year, I'm sure just like broke him. And now to see that he doesn't even have this game to hold him over because it was probably going to be a tie into the movie anyway, at least mm-hmm. release date wise. I'm going to send him a gift basket or something. <laughs> give a moment of silence for, for Matt Vieira. Poor John is dead. Poor John Fry is dead. <laughs> And Moving before we Sony leave, qu- uh, sorry, sorry, before oh. we leave this, um, we've actually been getting a lot of questions like, E3 is canceled. What are you guys doing now? Oh, yeah. Because as we mentioned we last week, that. we're like, hey, we're going to E3. Your <laughs> Patreon money paid for our tickets to E3. And now that it's canceled, what does that mean for us? And what is our plan? Uh, so the truth of it is, we're probably not going to be in LA at all or even together in June at all. We're trying to get our Airbnb fully refunded right now, but they are Airbnb is slammed. It took them three days to respond to my uh, to my support request. Um, so we're we're probably not gonna have any kind of coverage together in that. With all of these live events or all of these events happening digitally, I assume they're probably gonna try to keep it in that same week since that's when like outlets like IGN were still planning to cover it all anyway. Uh, so yeah. we will still have coverage, I'm sure, of whatever it is that happens. Um, but we're figuring out what we're going to do. Uh, Travis, I don't know. Maybe we'll look at PAX at the end of August. Mm-hmm. PAX West in Seattle. That might be a thing to kind of help re- replace that. Um, Seattle is just as fun as Los Angeles. Uh, it's, I, I love <laughs> Seattle, dude, for sure. And Los Angeles is a dirty hellhole. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they don't I mean, have Disneyland. We were going to go to Disneyland. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, but Seattle has uh, I don't know Starbucks if you're into that. <laughs> Plus, where's gonna get my heroin from? The homeless people in Los Angeles. <laughs> There's a lot of homeless people in Seattle. It's almost okay. Like, yeah, you've got Good. your homeless people. Good. Don't worry. Don't worry. All right. So yeah, yeah let's move so on to the Sony Quest log. Me. That was <laughs> we're really. The, we're the kick-ass irreverent gaming podcast hold, and they expect it. This is true. But I feel like I need to say, like, hey, I know that was an upsetting thing to say, just in case people are like, was he serious? Does yeah. he actually want to get heroin from a homeless person? <laughs> So moving on to the Sony Quest I log. Thought, I thought, okay, <laughs> you just said heroin. I thought the first time you said it, I thought you said, how am I going to get my hair wet from the homeless people? <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. all right, that's a weird thing Holden said, but we're going to keep going. Yeah. I'm really concerned with this coronavirus thing. Hey, homeless person, can you spit on my head, please? That's really what did I, it all. I, I was like, all right, that's that's a weird thing to say, Holden, but I'm just, I'll keep going. How many of my hair wet from the homeless people? (laughs) Speaking of homeless people spitting on your hair, Horizon Zero Dawn is officially coming to PC (laughs) later this year. Brought to you by Logan Moore from Dual Shockers. Specifically, it's coming this summer. Uh, More information will be coming soon. That's according to Herman Hulst, uh, who makes it clear this is not that not all PS exclusives will be ported to PC. 
So this is not like Bloodborne's coming in Uncharted and Last of Us Part Two. Like, yeah, this is yeah, this is Horizon Zero Dawn right now. And this, I'm sure they'll this... see the response and then decide what they're gonna do with other. Yeah, titles. this this timing is actually like the fact that it's coming this summer. It's, I think it says a couple of things. One, we know that Death Stranding is coming this summer as well, which was really the yep. first title that kind of sparked the conversation. Like, oh, that's weird. The PlayStation exclusive is coming to PC as well. Um, and then this comes. We've already talked about on the show too that like Death Stranding was made using the Decima engine, which Horizon Zero Dawn Studio Guerrilla Games created. Um, so it makes sense that they were probably both working in tandem on, all right, hey, how do we get this engine running on a PC? And so the fact that they're releasing kind of makes sense to me at the same time. But that also kind of means that like maybe this is a tease for, hey, look at how beautiful and great Horizon Zero Dawn runs on a PC and it looks so great. By the way, PlayStation 5 is right around the corner and it will always look that great on PlayStation 5 on next gen of consoles as well. And we happen to have a Horizon Zero Dawn 2 coming out with it too. Um, so I think that's a good kind of like plug marketing wise for Horizon Zero Dawn 2 which I think is probably going to be right around the corner. Yeah. I mean, it's been, what, three years? Yeah, it's been three years yeah. at this point. Yeah, because yeah, it came out the week we started our podcast. Yeah. A subscriber interrogative from at Sergeant Daniels. He says, Sony so here's Pony. A topic. Sony Pony. Here's, here's a topic I haven't heard much of being talked about. Do you think Sean Layden leaving Sony has anything to do with PlayStation moving in a different direction? Horizon Zero Dawn coming to PC. I wonder if... Um, he was against first-party games leaving the PlayStation ecosystem. Chad, what are your thoughts? I, I don't think we'll... I, I think we'll never know. We will never know what happened yeah. to Sean Layden. I think he shot JFK. <laughs> 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 I don't think that. But I think that it's going to be a mystery on the level of who shot JFK for the rest of our lives. <laughs> on the same level. <laughs> on the same level. There's a conspiracy yeah. going on in there somewhere. They were um, both presidents. I... I don't know if particularly Sean Layden's like stance on on PC like PlayStation games coming to PC but I I definitely sense that him leaving was a conflict between him and Jim Ryan at absolutely uh, yeah. PlayStation and, and they have like budding ideas about where PlayStation should go in the next generation and I definitely think that they they left over that. I don't know whether this is part of Jim Ryan's plan of like, yeah, we should take our properties and make them available in other places that we can have more outreach and more players and more people buying our game outside of the 100,000 people that we've got on PS4. Um, but also, I feel like Sean Layden was all about the first part. Like, he was championing first-party PlayStation long-form single-player games. Like, that was his bread and butter, and he always assured people, don't worry, no matter how the industry's moving, even against other people at PlayStation who were like, yeah, we're going to go more multiplayer. He's like, don't worry. This is still a focus for us. Uh, and actually, Sony's out and come out and said that about PS5, too, that they are focusing yep. on single-player narrative-focused games. So, um, I don't I don't think that this really... This, this decision was happening long enough ago while Sean Layden was still kind of there for Death Stranding, at least, I'm sure. Because there were always there were always rumors, and I think even they flubbed up at one point and say uh, when they were announcing and talking about Death Stranding a couple years ago, where they mentioned a PC at one point, and then they just stopped talking about it completely. So this yeah, has been the, happening uh, the long original enough. announcement they did, yeah, yeah, that's what it was the original announcement. Yeah. So they've they've been talking about it for a long time, and I so I, I don't see that Sean Layden suddenly saying, "I don't want this to happen," and it's starting to happen now, and now I'm gone. Like I rambled a little bit there, but yeah, I don't think it, they're related at all. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think the same thing relates to like crossplay and things like that. Like big, you know, philosophical changes within the company. There's always some sort of internal politics to every company, especially when you're in the very high levels like this, where really big decisions are being made. Yeah. If Sean Layden was, you know, the the lone guy in the room saying, "Hey, we shouldn't be doing this," and everyone else is like, "Sean, we really should be." Hey, Sean, we gotta let you go. We really need the team moving in this direction right now. Uh, thank you for your contributions to PlayStation. You can leave now. We'll probably never know what actually happened, like you said, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was something along those lines. Yeah. Moving on to a report saying that Hideo Kojima's Silent Hills game, PT, is being revived by PlayStation and Konami. Thank you, Tyler Fisher at comicbook.com. Allegedly, Sony pitched the idea to Kojima as an untitled, un, untitled goose game. I was an untitled goose game. <laughs> <laughs> untitled goose be... game, Silent Hill crossover. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I'd play it. No, I meant to say an Until Dawn style game. Kojima would have complete creative freedom. It will take advantage of the PSVR 2, but also be playable in 2D, very much like Resident Evil 7. Um, in a somewhat related note, uh, Norman Reedus is in talks regarding another Hideo Kojima project. That's from um, Ben Bayless at DualShockers. During an interview with Wired in their autocomplete series, Reedus, Reedus himself said that Hideo Kojima and himself will continue working together. Later on, he added that they are maybe doing some Death Stranding stuff. Maybe one of those things they're going to be doing together is this, you know, Silent Hills project, because he was a part of that originally as well. Right. Which is why they're mildly related, but not directly related stories. This is I think exciting. Th I think this is totally... It has a large degree of truth to it. This whole thing of Silent Hill, Konami, Kojima kind of thing. Um, part of it is because, I think it was like a week, week and a half ago... Kojima tweeted something. He's like, sorry, I've been so silent about blah, 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 blah. And then he was like holding a picture and in the picture, or he was he was in a picture and in the picture he was holding a pencil that said Pyramid on it. And Pyramid Head is like apparently a boss in Silent Hill. And yeah. um, so he tweeted that. And then there's the rumor, or the report about this. And with Kojima's history with PlayStation and then PlayStation's history with Konami, you know, with the Metal Gear series, series and that kind of stuff, like, I feel like the the whole story being told by this report is that Sony's basically adding a, acting as a mediator, bringing the two together, saying, hey, Kojima, you do really great shit. Konami, you have a lot of really great IPs, but you love pachinko machines. Let us turn those IPs into something great for PlayStation. <laughs> uh, and the report actually kind we'll of give mentions... You, here's a dump truck's full of money, please. We'll work with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the, the, the article mentions that they are trying to accomplish this in the same way that they did with Spider-Man. Where they're like, hey, we don't own this IP, but we have a really great company here, and we think that we can make a really fantastic game for PlayStation audiences. Um, so I, I, I think there's a degree of truth to this, and you know, like the concept that they were working on had to be like fucking amazing. That Konami was even able to, they were going to sign off on yeah. it anyway with Guillermo del Toro and 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 Norman Reedus. I don't know if it's going to be that same game or whether it's going to be something completely different now, or but yeah. I think there's it's definitely some time. truth to it there's probably some evolution in their thought process about thinking about that game. But yeah, there's got to be a degree, a degree of truth to it. Even like just thinking hypothetically, you are an executive at either Konami or Sony. And like, hey, we're looking for, you know, to reboot a, a popular franchise from the past because that's been really successful for us lately. Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, like, um, I don't know about Evil, how well that did. But like, that's been something that's been going pretty well. And just in general, remakes and reboots do pretty well. Um, in any medium, 
there's also this demo that people are still talking about years later and people are still reading articles about and people are still finding secrets in and people are holding on to that digital file on their PS4 because if they get rid of it it's gone forever like hmm there might be some interest in making that right? game <laughs> so I feel like it's one of those things where yeah they kind of have to do it what demo that didn't get released is still talked about to this degree at, I like, think years after you're right I think the, the demo was amazing it's awesome people are talking about it for all the right reasons I think part of the reason it's still in the conversation is because it's unavailable too I think if people were able to sure. download it yeah. again it still wouldn't get as much like people wouldn't be remaking it in Unity or remaking it in Dreams if you could just download it mm -hmm. on your PS4 still yeah but they also would be doing that if it was a dumb demo it was a great that's right demo. if it was a dumb stupid demo for babies where you had to talk into your controller like a phone Speaking about uh, baby games for babies, Nintendo Quest Log. Let's move on to that. Just kidding. I love Nintendo games. They're not for babies. Animal Crossing is not for babies. <laughs> you can have a beard in Animal Crossing. It's not for babies. <laughs> it's for men now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they, they market it like Animal Crossing for men. <laughs> Reggie fils appointed to GameStop Board of Directors. This comes from Rebecca Valentine at GamesIndustry.biz. GameStop has actually brought on three new board members. Reggie fils obviously the former president of Nintendo of America. Also, the former CEO of Walmart US, uh, Will Simon, is going to be joining the board, as well as the, pets, the current uh, PetSmart president and CEO, James Simonick. Simonick? Simonick. Cool. Yeah. Uh, this is effective immediately. There are six board members who are also set to retire. Four of those are leaving in June, and then the remaining two are going to depart next year. Um, there's a tweet from Richie Fizeme talking about this. He says the gaming industry needs a healthy and vibrant GameStop. I look forward to being a part of the GameStop Corp on board and making things uh, help to make things happen. Helping to make things happen. Subscriber interrogative from Matt Vieira at Matt from RI. Reggie Fisame joining GameStop's board of directors is a super interesting piece of news. What qualifies? Oh, blah. What qualifies? What quantities did Reggie bring to qualities. Nintendo? Did I just misspell speak it again? I yeah, you said quantities that time. <laughs> what quantities? What numbers will he be bringing to? <laughs> what qualities did Reggie um, bring to Nintendo that he could also bring to GameStop to help them succeed? Do you see Reggie writing the ship? or is GameStop too far gone? We also have another one on this topic from Dusty Enforcement Hill at Dusty Hill. Will GameStop <laughs> be Reggie? Uh, two great questions, boys. Thank you, Matt and Dusty, for your questions. It, it's, it's interesting because I don't know the extent of Reggie's influence as a, a member on the board of directors at GameStop. Like, it could be as little as a, hey, can we consult you every once in a while when we need a help here or there? Or it could be like, Hey, we we need your full pitch on how do we completely write the ship. Um, mm -hmm. So it's hard to say like what his level of involvement is, what his contract like, what kind of time commitment is it? Once every couple of weeks, or is it like we're going to be here? We need several tens of hours of, from you a week. Um, but I think Reggie's actually Reggie's a great fit for GameStop because he actually has a lot of work that he used to do before he was like really big in in the uh, just like as U.S. president of Nintendo. He had a lot of work with the retail channels particularly. In fact, he was responsible for Nintendo kind of changing the strategy. But like the typical strategy is like uh, a company will approach retailers and say, hey, we want to buy X amount of game space and we're going to pay extra to be featured at certain like eye level because that's better for people shopping or in certain quantities. We're going to fill up whole displays. And he kind of changed the strategy and said, hey, if you want to buy Nintendo products and you want to sell those in, our, in your stores, you have to buy them in large quantities. Like, we will not let you sell them unless you buy a huge amount of them. 
uh, which ended up working out really well for Nintendo and kind of turned around the way that they they worked with retailers. So he has a lot of experience in that retail sector. And GameStop is certainly going to benefit a ton from his insights and his leadership. My only concern is that it's just too late. Like there are GameStop itself, from all the reports of the employee stuff that we talked about, like the ways that they're struggling, like like as a as a team, as, from a morale level, struggling for sales and all that kind of stuff. But also like the infrastructure is not there right now. Their stores are dwindling to like the fact that there's there's not one basically in San Francisco. Like the entire city mm -hmm. of San Francisco doesn't have a GameStop, which is the tech center of the world. Uh, like that's. That's crazy. Like, I don't know if GameStop is doing well enough that it can come back even with someone like Reggie on the board. Yeah. So, just the first thing you said was like, we're not sure what Reggie's contribution to the board is going to be. Yeah, that, that's a that's a valid point. Board members usually meet up infrequently. It's not a like they're not there every single day going into the corporate offices of of uh, of GameStop. It's usually more of an advisory role and kind of saying, hey, like generally speaking, this is where we think the company should go. The CEO is not doing that, so we're going to fire him and replace him with a new CEO. Like that's kind of what the board is is there for. Uh, but we also don't really know what Reggie did within Nintendo, and I don't mean that as like a slight against Reggie in any way. As as consumers and as Nintendo fans and just as gamers in general, we see Reggie Fizeme in Nintendo Directs being charismatic and just badass talking about Nintendo games. We don't really he see what his day did. He set the PR standard for what Nintendo is nowadays. Yeah, yeah. We don't really know, though. He did. We don't really know, like, what he did internally to make that happen. Right. So it's kind of hard to say, like, yeah, he's going to be doing all these great things. But one thing that is really unique about Reggie fils joining GameStop is that, and I looked this up and I was floored when I found this out. I looked up the governance structure uh, it, within GameStop. There are 11 board members currently right now, and only one of them has ever worked for a video game company in the past. Wow. That's really shocking. So yeah. I think Reggie fils is kind of there to be the voice of brands that will be represented in the store through his experience of partnering with GameStop and offering his experiences there. And hey, this is what a company like Nintendo would want from GameStop going forward. I think he's going to be invaluable. Uh, they should probably get Sean Layden too. I'm not sure what he's up to right now, <laughs> but he might want to be a board member at, at GameStop. So no, that was really surprising. for shooting JFK. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Sorry, that, that started that was really funny. So yeah, I don't in, in terms of writing the ship, I'm curious how much coronavirus is gonna impact oh, God, GameStop's yeah. sales. And that, and then on the other side of the spectrum, PS5 and Xbox Series X could bring in a lot more business into GameStop, depending on kind of what those launches look like, how much coronavirus impacts those. That that could save them and give them a little bit extra time if they have Reggie Fizeme's input now. Maybe that'll help with kind of how GameStop positions themselves with that that launch period but it's kind of like it's I don't in this case could the ship be righted I'm sure I'm sure there are investors who would love to throw their money in to GameStop if they see a an initiative to better themselves being GameStop bettering themselves but it's like it's kind of hard to say it depends on factors that I'm just kind of not aware of but one thing I thought was interesting and Plus, that is that the, before you yeah. get to that we are a video podcast now, and you've gone out of focus after you laughed. Can you refocus your camera for me? Oh, yeah. Boom. Boom. Nope. Still blurry. Is it better? Oh, Is I'm going to follow better? that finger all the way back to you. All the way back to me? Nope, Is it beautiful nope, now? No, nope. you're still blurry. See, I can't fuck. see my feed. I'm going to increase the picture. Of my, it says my feed, so I can see it. What the hell? 
Autofocus. I'll bat shot you. Shot I'm going to cover the camera completely and then bring it back. Nailed ah, it. That's it. There's that beautiful baby face wearing his baby shirt. <laughs> so the next thing I think is interesting that hasn't really got discussed a lot is specifically the former CEO of Walmart joining the board. Here's why I think that's really interesting. Why? What has been GameStop's business model in the past? Obviously, they sell consoles and they sell games speaking of like new consoles and new games and they have low margins on those and they make up the low margins by selling used games and used consoles for really high margins but because digital and where that's going that's going to be harder for GameStop to to get in the future which is kind of where a lot of these concerns are coming with GameStop but what's notable about Walmart is that they are an incredibly thin margin company they might want that perspective on how to transition and become a low margin company. To put it in perspective of how low margin Walmart is, I found this out a few years ago and it blew my mind. They might bring in $500 billion in revenue, which sounds like a ton of money and obviously is a ton of money, but they only make $5 billion in profit, which is 1% margin. Whoa. <clears throat> yeah, which is why they like can, maybe can't pay their employees that much. Exactly. I was going to say, that's don't why have... their employees get paid like shit. Yeah, not condoning it. That's obviously not good, but that's that's why. And I think that this is, I don't know about PetSmart. I'm sure they're not a very high margin company, but Walmart, I know know. for a fact. Those puppy mills, they churn out. (laughs) Walmart definitely is not a high margin company. And that might be a really good thing for GameStop to consider going forward. So I think Reggie Fizeme kind of helps out with the, hey, this is what the game industry wants. And Walmart can say, hey, this is how you can actually adapt and make money consistently when you can't rely on used games. Use consoles will probably still be around, but use games is going to be tougher. So I think that's going to be interesting. And then will GameStop be Reggie? Reggie's yes. everything. He's everything already. So yes, GameStop, GameStop will be Come Reggie on. in the sense that Reggie is now selling used games on the street corner. <laughs> <laughs> he is flying town to town. <laughs> he has a schedule on his website. Find out when he's in your town. He might have a copy of NHL 2013. That's really funny. I love that. Uh, he'll also be selling Nintendo Mario Lego sets because those were announced oh! this week. So Nintendo reveals Mario Lego set, and it will make all your favorite noises from Matt Elfring at GameSpot. There was no release date announced for this, um, but it basically, and the trailer was kind of vague. It didn't directly explain what it is, but it basically looks like you are making Mario levels with Legos and then taking this oversized Mario Lego figure that's Bluetooth connected and moving it throughout the level. And through that Bluetooth connectivity, it interacts with a Goomba you jumped on. So it makes the noise you would expect there. If yep. you go to a pipe, it'll make the, the sound you make when you go into a pipe. When you go to a flag, it'll make the sound that uh, that happens when you uh, go down the flagpole. Like It's just kind of mimicking that. Um, I think it looks really stupid. <laughs> I, <just don't, laughs> I don't think this looks appealing at all. My brothers, I have two brothers that are 8 and 14, and they both love Lego sets, and they both love Nintendo, and they both love Mario, and they both could not care less about this announcement. Really? At all. Yeah, they didn't care at all. Aww. I was surprised. I thought they would like it, and they both were like, that looks lame. So, Aww. yeah. I was actually, like, really, really excited for it. Actually, no, that's a lie. So I started, and I just <laughs> took a look at the picture, and I'm trying to place this on our... Uh, for those of you watching at home, I'm trying to place this in the middle of our thing, and it's enormous. So you can actually see what it looks like. <laughs> First, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to turn it on, and I'm going to let everyone see it. It's going to be covering both of our faces. So there's this Mario, and he looks so stupid. I hate the he way he looks. He looks so stupid. <laughs> He's this square. I'm just going to cover the, our whole screen while we talk about it for a little bit. He's this yeah. giant square, 
And I'm like, why is he a fucking cube? Like, why is he cubic? Why does he have a square head when all other Lego characters just have like regular ass Lego heads? And I just saw the picture. But then I saw the video and I saw that his eyes are LEDs. And I saw that he's like making the noises and you can hear the music. And as he steps on things and it's collecting coins as you go and he hits the flag and it lowers and shows all the like, and I was like, oh my God. I can see myself as a, as a kid. I would have lost my goddamn mind playing this thing. And like, I'm gonna stop my twelve Goombas, and then I'm gonna go over here. I'm gonna smash this turtle over, and Bowser Junior's little fucking goblin, whatever. I'm gonna kill him, and then I'm gonna go over. I would have had a fucking blast with this. But I'm, I I don't know. I and then right now, all of my nephews and nieces are at the the age where they fucking love Legos as well. And I I don't know. I haven't asked them like what they think of this, but like, oh man. I, I, it's one of those things where you're like, you want to get it for your kid because you want your kid to like it, but I don't know if your kid would like it, but man, I would go ape shit over this if I were 30 years younger, zero, if I were zero years old, I would eat Mario. <laughs> so here's the thing. Let me read the next story. It ties right into this conversation. We'll continue the conversation. All right. Lego Nintendo has a lot of very exciting IPs that we might do from Jordan DeVore at Destructoid. When asked if more Lego Nintendo sets are coming in the future, um, in the future, design lead Jonathan Bennick said... I can say that we haven't worked for four years to release just one wave of products. We hope to have a long and fruitful relationship with Nintendo and their IPs. And we are, are and we are really looking forward to working with them on a longer term. They have a lot of very exciting IPs that we might do or might not do. Um, looking at the Mario Lego set, I kind of went, am I interested in the idea of Nintendo Legos? Yes, I am. It's just that this one looks like Mega Blocks, like the big child Legos. It does. Legos. It does that it doesn't really appeal to me because I look at it and go, oh, that's a children's toy. And I think about playing with this and going, okay, so I'm going to pick up this kind of goofy-looking Mario, have him jump on a Gooba that d- doesn't... It's not difficult to do. I just take the Mario figure and I put it on top <laughs> of the Goomba, and he makes a noise. And I'm like, that's, I don't know. like That just can make me go, wouldn't it be more fun to jump on a Goomba like in a real Mario game? So I just don't like get this, but if they released Hyrule Castle as a Lego set, holy shit, I would get that in a heartbeat. I haven't bought Legos in probably like a decade. It's been so long, more than a decade. I would get the Hyrule Lego set. Like if they, Hyrule Castle, if if they did that, all for that. But this, I just, it doesn't speak to me. <clears throat> Hold on, it, something strikes me that like you probably weren't the type of kid who played with action figures, were you? No, I was, totally was. You were? Absolutely, made stories with them, everything. Oh, Literally made outlines of TV like this shows appeal- and acted out the TV shows. I mean the I was lame. The the fact that it looks like Mega Bloks aside, because that you nailed yeah. it. It hundred percent looks like Mega Bloks. The fact that it looks like that aside, why, how would you not let your imagination run wild with this shit? Like because I, I play with it because I'm playing a Mario level in real life and I'm booping. I Goombas. will tell you why. Because again, just like I already said, like it's too similar to the game. Like, oh, I just jumped on a Goomba. Oh, I just went on in this pipe. Oh, I went down the flagpole. I could do all of those things in a way that's more entertaining for me on the game itself. Whereas when I played with my action figures, I was making up my own shit. I was making up my own stories. I was like coming up with something original and being like, oh, isn't it cool that my Batman figure and my Frodo figure and a Bionicle are all going on an adventure together? It's badass. It's the Avengers setup of Holden's <laughs> toys and all the properties they <laughs> come that. from. Yeah. So like Shout this is an old so like episode of uh, Affable Idiots. Go go Google Bionicle, a thick Bionicle. <laughs> 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 no, I get um, that. 
I do like going forward. Like this looks cool as shit, and I, I would have played this ton with it. But as an adult, like the Harry Potter route that they went, like you can get Hogwarts Castle or the Hogwarts Express, and like build exactly. it with Legos. That's as an adult what allures me to it, but I don't know for kids. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If they just had a cool like making a Mario level as Legos is kind of like a little set piece I could just put on a shelf somewhere. I'd be all for that, but this just looks too childish for for me. Yeah. That said, this I is going to sell made really for well. Children. Yeah, it's it's made for children. It is, yeah. Oh, I can't remember where I read this, but someone said, I think it was on Reddit. Hustler. It was, on Reddit. It was an commented, Hustler. It was an Hustler <laughs> uh, commenting on Nintendo Legos. They said the Lego tax, which Legos are expensive for what they are. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, Lego tax plus Nintendo tax equals, holy shit, this is going to be expensive. Yeah. So especially the Bluetooth connected Lego piece. That's going to be charged and has batteries. I assume all of like all of the little pieces, like the Goomba and the block and the flag, they're all going to be like some kind of like NFC or something like that too. I'm sure. Yeah, I I think that's what the Bluetooth is for is to connect to those different pieces. I don't think it's going to catch your phone. You you think you're if that's the case, then the Goomba needs batteries. The question block needs batteries. The I flagpole needs batteries. You got to turn them all on to play. I don't. I, I, it's got to be Mario with Bluetooth to connect to your phone or something like that, and then NFC for all these other things. I was thinking NFC as well because that's the most logical way that it could be done. Um, where was the? Let me read the. Let me read the article for a second because I'm pretty sure they mentioned in there that the Bluetooth connects to all the other pieces. That's how they do it. I, I don't know. I just. Bluetooth, I don't feel like, is a reliable enough at that distance, at those really small, okay. minute distances. Okay, so this is this is okay. They didn't say officially. It was in the GameStop article. They say while details about the set aren't re- uh, revealed, the set seems to work by having Mario, the character, stand on a Lego pieces that have Bluetooth sensors in them. The back of the Mario figure has Bluetooth symbol on it, which you can see in the video. Um, so they have it could be NFC, but they haven't mentioned NFC. The author of the article just in, inferred that they're connecting through Bluetooth. It's got to be NFC. I mean, because that it doesn't require power for NFC. But then what's the Bluetooth for? I agree, NFC would make the most sense. Don't yeah. need power. You just connect and that's uh, it. Maybe you can. Maybe it's possible to like connect it to your phone and update it with new music or update it with like new sounds okay, or something like that, or integrate with yeah. a new game. Or I don't know. See, that would have been really cool. When I saw Lego Nintendo, Lego Mario, I'm like. Holy shit, are we going to get like a Mario Lego game? That Not would be so cool. It'd be so cool. What are you talking about? It'd be amazing. Or even like a Let's DLC go play an pack. Let's Mario game. <laughs> <laughs> or even a, uh, a, a, like a DLC pack for Super Mario Maker 2 where you can do like. That's cool. Yeah, you can make levels as Legos and convert to different styles. Like maybe you made a level a Super Mario World style and then just whoop, flip it and now it's a Lego version. That'd be pretty badass. But obviously, yep. it's not what's happening. You know what's not badass? Google Stadia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so moving on to the Google Quest log. Stadia, Stadia now supports 4K streaming on the web. Kaylee Bomparlatin from PC Gamer says, Certain requirements must be met to run 4K games. One, you need to be uh, you need to change the data server setting in the mobile app for the best visual quality. Shouldn't it be automatic? Like YouTube right. can do it that. Should, it should recognize what's streaming and do it for you. Yeah, YouTube, owned by Google, like Stadia, owned by Google. Yep. It's going to say run by Google, but it's questionable if it's even being run right now. That's uh, <laughs> not quite certain. You need a 4K monitor, which makes sense. And then you need a GPU capable of decoding VP9. And I looked this up on Wikipedia, and 
you're good to go, basically. It's, it seems like pretty much any graphics well, card you could get has that's EP9. That's not necessarily the truth. Uh, there's encoding and decoding. Encoding, not a lot of support, but decoding, it seems like there's a lot of support. Unless you have a Mac. Zero Macs yeah. are capable of running this at 4K. Because so, VP9 is, is a, a streaming codec that Apple and Safari don't support. They support uh, mm-hmm. H.265 instead, um, and which is why you can't stream 4K video on any Mac on YouTube. But Macs use AMD graphics cards, don't they? But they don't use VP9. Like they don't have any hardware. They don't have any hardware support for VP9. So yeah, even if you have like a 5K iMac, you can't oh, stream 4K YouTube on it. The graphics card itself will be hardware capable of it, but since the operating system doesn't actually support that hardware feature of the graphics card, it's irrelevant. I'm not 100% sure on that. But I do know that just like straight up YouTube even, you can't run 4K on a Mac because Google runs on VP9 and Apple does not support that codec. So Yeah, and the reason why is that Apple has their own... Well, they, Apple likes to support HTML5, which has the codec H.264. So they're using that for 4K encoding as opposed to VP9. VP9 is actually made by Google. Yep. So that's why they're using it. Um, so yeah, they are finally doing 4K after launch. But guess what's not doing 4K? Doom Eternal. You know, sorry, Whoa. one last thing. That probably yeah. makes sense as to why it's not why you don't have Stadia streaming to iOS devices too. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not available on Macs, I promise you there's no VP9 hardware support built into an iPhone or, or an iPad. The Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the Wikipedia article itself in like the chart that said like these are the compatible graphics cards, these are the operating systems that work, it did actually say Mac OS no, Windows yes, Android yes, uh, iOS no. Huh. But then the graphics cards themselves gave a thumbs up, basically. That's so, yeah. so that's, I wonder if they're... How are they ever? Because they they said it's coming to everything. You're gonna be able to play it on everything. How are they ever gonna get it on iOS if they're not if they're doing VP9? I think because the VP9 in this case is specifically being used to decode 4K. They probably still have it just working with 1080p on iOS devices and Macs. They just okay. don't want to put the extra work in. Maybe I don't. I, mean, I don't know officially, but that's just my speculation. Um, yeah. Doom Eternal won't run at true 4K on Stadia after all. From Eric Van Allen at US Gamer, it will run at 1080p 60 frames per second on 1080p monitors. If you have a 4K monitor, you will basically get a uh, 18 uh, 1800p image that is upscaled to 2160p, and which is 4K. So it's going to be upscaled to 4K, and it will be at 60 frames per second, but it's not actually 4k uh at the announcement of stadia id software did promise that it was going to have 4k 60 frames per second they didn't just promise it but they like evangelized it like yep stadia is going to be capable but we promise you 4k 60 frames a second doom will be the like poster child for this and no they're not reading 1800p made me remember remember before we started recording i was like i played a fourth game that i really wanted to talk about but i couldn't i played the last of us from start to finish in 24 hours and 1800 reminded you of that. <laughs> it did because Last of Us Remastered, I've never played the remastered version. You have the option to run it at at 4K 30 frames a second, mm-hmm. locked at that. You could run it at 1800p with like a variable uh, frame rate, or you could run it at 1080p with locked at 60. Um, I still ran it at 30. But anyway, sorry. I, yeah, I played The Last of Us in its entirety again. I haven't played it since it came out in 2013, and oh my god, I was not prepared for how drained emotionally I was for the next like entire day. Like my best friend was texting me the whole day. By the end of the night, he was just like, "Hey, uh, I miss you. I love you. Uh, here's what happened with me today. I hope you're okay." <laughs> and then the next day, I was like, "Sorry, man. I was just like 
not in the mood to like think critically or talk to you or like read whatever's going on there. I was just like so dead. Last of Us is a fucking beautiful, perfect game. Even the second time around, I was still surprised by it. Giraffe moment is is perfect. I we will the game is amazing. I can't wait for number two. We will talk about number two in a little bit. Little will bit. we? Just a little bit. We will. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's oh yeah. Okay, that's right. It's in the main quest. So here's my. This is the realization I had. I don't really honestly care to talk about 4K streaming on the web or Doom Eternal 4K because this point I'm just fucking done talking about Google Stadia. Like I really, I really <laughs> debated like, do I want to put these in here? Because why talk about it? I don't think that we have since the announcement of Stadia and the announcement of Stadia, we were super impressed. It was like watching the iPhone event, this revolution. Like we were high off that shit. I don't think we've had a single week where we talked about positive news about Google since then. You might be right. It's, I can't think of one. I've mildly defended them in the whole incident where they didn't have new games coming out and there was this big drought. I mildly defended them because they kind of front-loaded everything. But like either way, like that the fact that that's the only example I can think of of something positive we've talked about with Stadia is really embarrassing. The, the things that should have been big announcements. Two new studios opened up. Too late. Everything has been too late. Even this Renault support 4K streaming. Too late. You should have had that at launch, like you were touting, and that was the big thing. Like it's just in their defense, though, they're launching Monopoly on Stadia in three weeks. So, <laughs> for a second, I thought you were being serious. To like, I am no, serious. No, no, you're serious. <laughs> yeah, they're releasing three new games at the end of March, and one no. of them is Monopoly. Oh, I thought no. I meant, are you being serious about that being a big announcement? No, they yeah. made a big announcement of it. They're like, the Division Two, something no one cares about, and also Monopoly are coming. <laughs> case in point that's case in point right there mm-hmm. it's just I, I i really think it's just not worth talking about anymore well so we're gonna talk about it if i want to just like you keep bringing up the atari vcs but until then <laughs> we're gonna talk about harry potter harry potter rpg cool leaks rumors and what we know so far by jesse wade at ign oh yeah mm. so there's a the video, this is just a basically a breakdown. A lot of this information is things we've already covered in the past. Yep. Um, but it's a good breakdown, and I wanted to talk about it. Also, there wasn't a lot of third-party news, so there's that. This is it. Video, <laughs> yeah, the video leaked in 2018, which was taken down by WB Games over copyright grounds. That was the trailer that we saw that was basically like, recorded of a screen. So it wasn't the best quality, but still it's good as fuck. Yep. A leaked synopsis for the game suggested takes place in the 1800s. Some of this was new information for me. You'll be playing as a fifth-year Hogwarts student where you'll be choosing between eight different wizarding classes. And throughout the game, you'll be kind of having uh, like a good or evil choices you'll be making throughout the, the experience. You get to pick your house, which is interesting. That's separate from your classes. Mm-hmm. Um. I just want to say, I want to right now mention, you don't pick your house. The sorting hat picks it for you. That's so here's not how thing. it works. Here's the thing. In a character creator type situation, you can, it kind of makes sense that you can pick someone and which house they would be in or that they would have the qualities that would make them a Slytherin yeah. or something like that. Like, and it, yeah. it, it's not like I'm playing a so-and-so character and I get, like, if it's, there's a defined character and depending on your play style, you could be in any kind of house. No, that's not a thing. That character goes to a thing. But you create yeah. a brand new character from scratch. 
it kind of makes sense for me. I get that, but like it's not with the lore. What actually? What, here's how they could build it into the lore. This takes place in the 1800s. There's a new policy they made with the Sorting Hat where it decides for you. Too many people were going to Gryffindor. Not enough people wanted to be in Slytherin, so they they had to have the Sorting think, Hat pick for you. That's, I think that's we can the leave this alone. Right and the bigger argument is in <laughs> Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Why do time turners suddenly work completely differently than they have in the entire rest of the series? <laughs> I haven't read that yet. Actually, I really want to. The entire thing is built around time turners and they completely change how they work but let's move on <laughs> you can choose your friends throughout the adventure which is probably just your party members and then there, this will be quote an entirely new experience in the wizarding world compared to the books and films very exciting the rumored title was originally harry potter magic awakened but obviously that turned into a mobile card game so that's not it yeah uh, obviously then- we all played that I'll play that. Jesse Wade <laughs> believes that the Jesse Wade, who wrote the article, by the way, from IGN, believes that the studio at WB Games working on the title is Avalanche Software. In 2017, they put up a job posting looking for someone with quote deep understanding of British culture and grammatical presentations and experience with RPG narratives. Not exactly like you know smoking gun evidence, but it's interesting. Um, also, Avalanche Games is a good pick they do good open world games with lots of chaos Chaos. and that sounds fun in the harry potter world god i just i'm so ready for this to be real jason trier tweeted about how like after e3 got canceled he tweeted like by the way uh wb was going to do a a press conference for the first time this year and they were going to talk about batman and montreal and harry potter and i was just like fuck Fuck, I hope that still happens. But also, <laughs> fuck, I wish I was surprised by it. But also, fuck, I can't wait for that game. I rewatched the video today and just, man, man, does it look good. Yeah. Ugh. So good. I'm And it Do already looked it. good in t- two minute clips. Or not even that. In, in like a montage of three second clips for two minutes back in 2018. <laughs> so it must be good if it looked good there. Yeah. I'm very excited for this game very excite holden let's get into our main quest but before we do i want to talk a little bit about affable idiots affable idiots is the new brand under which our podcasts and uh will live like responding fire that's us and our new off-color mr rogers-esque type show called aawy and also with you which today we talked about the trouble with boobies on (laughs) so very very good episode coming to you on thursday uh, video versions of our podcast are only the first of many, many amazing things we're bringing to you this spring, and we need your support. You can do that a few ways, and it's all most of it's free. For free, go to YouTube and find us on YouTube. Go to Responding Fire, Affable Idiots, and AAWI, and also with you. You literally have to go search for them because until we have 100 subscribers, and they're all brand new channels, until we have 100 subscribers, we can't get like youtube.com slash Responding Fire. So please, as you're, I'm going to pause right now. And let you guys do that. Um, Holden left to go to the bathroom. He's peeing. But this is just a perfect opportunity for me to just uh, let you go to YouTube and subscribe. Thank you all for subscribing. The next thing you can do, whatever podcast service you're listening to us on right now, whether it's Stitcher, Hustler, Playboy, RedTube, whatever it is that you're listening to us on. (laughs) (laughs) I did not put videos on RedTube. Did you do that? Because I didn't. (laughs) Maybe. Go there and just give us a review. Uh, It helps a lot more than you know. Stars are good, but words of affirmation are our love language. Uh, So please leave us a com-com, a comment. That's a comment, a com-com. And then finally, we have a Patreon for Respawn Aim Fire, the Affable Ideas podcast, patreon.com slash Respawn Aim Fire. 
Uh, and uh, that supports us, and we give you a whole lot of stuff. Game night every week, you can play along with us. We have, um, you can influence what we play every month for Barf, which I will put up the poll for that in the next couple of days. And then you get super sexy, cool wallpapers at the end of every month. So very sexy. That's all the shit you can do for us as affable idiots, which is again the umbrella under which we live. Follow us all on Twitter. Holden, you got some news on some crouch to talk about for main quest. Crouch. Yeah, so Kutaku, specifically Jason Schreier, reveals more crunch practices. Headline of the article here is As Naughty Dog Crunches on The Last of Us Part Two, developers wonder how much longer this approach can last. So for this story, Jason interviewed 13 anonymous current and former developers. Actually, I should clarify that note because it kind of changed as we went along. 13 anonymous current and former developers on The Last of Us Part Two, And I think he talked to like 20 other developers who worked on other projects in the past as well. So more than 13, which is a good thing. Uh, Sony and Naughty Dog declined to comment on the story. Normally put at the end, I want you to keep that in mind as we read all of this. Uh, so the gist of the story is largely the same as we heard from other exposés on Crunch Culture Studios. It's a culture of perfectionism that indirectly applies pressure on employees to work longer hours and weekends during certain periods of development. Management isn't directly um, pressing employees, but the pressure exists nonetheless, specifically just because of high standards. Schreider claims that uh, in industry, not much of this is really a secret. Even during job interviews, Naughty Dog speaks to their high standards and the, quote, discipline used to, to get there. After strenuous periods of crunch during Uncharted 4, director Bruce uh, Straley stated that their project wouldn't put as their next project wouldn't put as much of a burden on the team. But he ended up taking a sabbatical and then never returned from that sabbatical. So when they worked on Uncharted Lost Legacy, they had crunch and quote the worst crunch I've ever experienced, said one developer. So I have a list here of some of the specific crunch issues that they faced. Um, so we're gonna go down the list here. Developers would be unable to go home until directors looked at their progress, but directors would often be in meetings until 6 to 7 p.m. Um, note there, their schedule at Naughty Dog, according to the article, is 10.30 to 6.30. So basically, just when you're about to be scheduled to leave work, based on just the common the practices and quotes, right, yeah. the 40-hour work week, yeah, uh, you can't get out because someone needs to basically approve of what you've uh, done or even just look at it before you leave. And can't do it because there are meetings. That's frustrating. Uh, but also, animators will wait for developers to implement their work into the game. So you created this animation for Ellie, and now you got to give it to a developer who's going to put it in the game itself. And you need to verify that happens before you can leave. Um, like I kind of mentioned, there's a desire for perfection leading um, uh, to developers and artists giving each other notes um, that leads to more work. Like, hey, could you say when I turn the flashlight towards Ellie, make her eyes dilate? Because that would be a really good little touch. Like things like that, that kind of just happen through little On top notes of something that, that you're already doing. And someone's like, hey, man, I think yeah. it'd be cool if you did this. I'm like, cool, I'll take that on too. Yep. Yep. Uh, poor communication leading to employees working on content that was scrapped days or weeks prior. This is a big one so they don't have like a traditional production team that would take care of keeping everything focused and aligned you're supposed to basically do that yourself you're supposed to be your own production team i i don't understand that concept that doesn't make a lot of sense to me like how can you keep track of what other teams are doing that's what director level people are supposed to be doing i, I would imagine that's one of the biggest things about this whole thing is that yeah yeah, I yeah, absolutely. And a lot of this results in high turnover from employees, which um, which means weeks or months of training for each new incomer, which obviously would then lead to 
more crunch because you got to make up that time. So these new employees haven't learned the culture quite yet, so it's hard for them to know what directors are looking for. The leads also want junior and senior level workers at the, to be outputting the same quality of work, which is just not a reasonable expectation. There's a reason why they're called junior and senior level workers because there's a discrepancy there. So it's that's just, yeah, that's ridiculous. And because of Naughty Dog's reputation for crunch after Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy, they've been forced to hire, I wrote hire the, like the wrong one, but whatever, more and more junior workers. This has exacerbated the crunch culture. So kind of an option of what I was saying earlier, you bring in a junior level worker. They have to learn everything, which is going to take weeks or months, as they just said. And then again, they're not at the same level. So if a senior level person is getting things done in two hours and it takes them six hours to get things done, that's going to create a discrepancy that might cause more work and then crunch time. And then more are expected to more people are expected to quit once bonuses come in for The Last of Us Part Two. Basically, people are kind of fed up. I don't there's no like stat of like 50% of the design team is going to quit. We don't really know, but right. it is a discussion that is happening among some employees at uh, Naughty Dog. The delay from uh, February to May, it didn't alleviate any crunch at all. It only prolonged it. Specifically, the the directors uh, on all the teams are basically saying, you know, we expect the same output. Right. That Don't mean that, this, that, that things are going to slow down. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that I think I would say that is a pressure from management that we really haven't seen. Like, a lot of it we've talked about with past examples is this kind of unwritten rule that you're going to stay late because you need to get this work done. That part right there is pretty direct rule that, no, you're doing exactly what you did before. So that's that's not great. Some employees wish that the game would flop to send a sign to Naughty Dog. Or as I wrote, not dog. That <laughs> not dog. Not. not. James Notton. So that was uh, another great breakdown by Jason Schreier. Yeah, you should 100% go read the article. It takes you like three hours to read, but 100% go read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, absolutely. <laughs> and then there's a thread from a former uh, Naughty Dog employee named Jonathan Cooper. Um, I don't think this is that long. I'm going to read it. Are you cool with that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, when I, this is the thread, so this is going to be a little while, but I think it's important because it's, it's concise enough that I think it's worth reading the whole thing. When I left Naughty Dog late last year, they threatened to withhold my final paycheck until I signed additional paperwork stating I wouldn't share their production practices. They finally relented when I assured them that this was most likely illegal. So my mom works in HR, so I asked her, like, hey, mom, is that illegal? Because she would know. She works in HR. She's like, oh, my God, absolutely, that's illegal. Like, they, <laughs> cannot, they cannot do that. She says what they could do is say, hey, we're going to give you the seven package if you agree not to discuss certain practices that sure. is maybe not ethical but it's legal uh, moving on with the quote from Jonathan Cooper the truth is I have no awful crunch tale the story animators as were known were averaging 46 hours a week when I left and I personally never went over 55 hours the story team is super organized and we reacted to whatever was thrown at us that's not to say others weren't suffering for the demo shown last September the gameplay animators crunched more than I've ever seen and required weeks of recovery afterwards one good friend of mine was hospitalized at the time due to overwork he still had hope over half a year to go. There have been others since. The reason I left is because Naughty Dog, blah. The reason I left is because I only want to work with the best. That is no longer Naughty Dog. Boom. The reputation, he didn't say boom, I said boom. The <laughs> reputation for crunch within LA is so bad, it was near impossible to hire seasoned contract game animators to close out the project. As such, we loaded up on film animators. While super talented, whoops, while super talented, they lack the technical slash design know-how to assemble scenes similarly 
The design team ballooned with juniors to make up for the attrition of key roles, which is basically exactly what Jason Schreier's article was saying. Every aspect of the finishing this game took much longer due to the lack of game experience on the team. Don't get me wrong, these kinds of these kids are mostly awesome and the best were great, but it's when the junior slash senior ratio is out of balance, things can really grind and more time is spent training than actually working. LA teams make sure and pick them up when all the contracts end. Contract work is a huge part of the LA ecosystem to ship large games. Unlike game design, there is a thriving animation industry here, and seasoned animators can often choose their projects. Most of the contract story animators quit last year. Those that don't can be at Naughty Dog for two to three projects with pauses in between. And while paid overtime never received benefits or the security um, of a full-time gig, this is the way the industry is moving, so workers need more protection rather than the carrot of a full-time job, quote, one day. There are Naughty Dog stories worse than this, but like everything on my Twitter, I'm focusing on animation. For The Last of Us 2 fans, the game should turn out great with industry-leading animation. I would not just recommend I would just not recommend anyone work as Naughty at Naughty Dog until they prioritize talent retention. Ultimately, Naughty Dog's linear games have a formula and they focus test the shit out of them. While talented, their success is due in large part to Sony's deep pockets, funding delays rather than skill alone. A more senior team would have had would have shipped Last of Us Part Two a year ago. Chad has talked a lot. What are your thoughts on everything I just said? That was a lot. I want to add one more piece of context. Uh, yeah. There's a very PR-y quote um, from Neil Druckmann that he tweeted after all of this. It says, even after oh, years of working on it, I'm still blown away by the animation in part two. We have one of, if not the best animation team in the industry, both in raw animation skill and technical knowledge. Can't wait for you to experience their incredible work. And that alone, I don't think add much to the discussion. Of course, the the game designer is going to come out and say, uh, yeah, he's going to defend the animation team after especially that tweet thread. But I, what I found interesting is, and what makes all of this such a complex issue, is that there are so many employees from Naughty Dog retweeting this and commenting and things like that, saying, I'm very proud to work at Naughty Dog. I really relish the work that I do. I can't wait for this game to come out because it's going to be fucking amazing, and the work that I did is going to be amazing. Um, so this is just another example. And in fact, I think it's Jason Trier's third big expose on crunch in really big studios. Rockstar was one of them, and there was another one that I can't remember. But... Um, yeah, this is another just big example of mismanagement and expectations that are that are set in the company culture so deep that are unfair. There there are big ta- big issues that we can't tackle. Like right now, like contract work is such sorry, not not that we can't tackle, but that are going to be very very difficult to change. Contract work is a yeah. staple of the industry. That's just how things get done. Um which is uh, full-time employees and providing all those benefits and things like that it's going to be a huge change to the way that the corporation is structured the way that teams work um the way that they're funded uh so that's something that's going to be really difficult to change but also i think because naughty dog is the place that people see as perfection you're going to get a ton of people who really want to go there and want to and i can understand especially when you're in your 20s like going in and busting your ass to make the best thing you can despite whatever like there are times when working at a retail store in chicago like i was like i'm gonna fucking do all this extra work and make this it was a fucking retail experience i mean granted it helped get me where i am today but like i was busting my ass way more than i should have been or was expected to because i was so passionate about what i do and i wanted to make it the best of the best uh in that experience so when you see partnered on a lot of things that was like way above and beyond what was expected of us because we cared we were passionate yeah yeah so when you get those kind of people who 
want to go to the the company that's known for being industry leading in so many ways and making games that are rated the best of all time like you're going to get those types of people that want to do it and yes those kind of you do get burned out on those kind of things and that's natural but also the fact that other people are feeling pressured because of that and it's become part of the culture um and it's not clearly communicated that you don't have to do that or that incentives aren't going to be given to you if you don't do that and that kind of stuff is really gross but we won't be able to fix that and i think naughty dog's problem without management and the fact that they state in Jason Trier's article that like there are no producers at Naughty Dog. You don't have a producer for the game, which is in charge of like cross-communication between different de- uh, departments within the game so that you don't have somebody working on something for three weeks that got cut and then suddenly like, well, what the fuck was I doing that for for three weeks when I could have been doing something else more useful? Uh, so it encourage- like making people their own producers is not a thing. Uh, Jason mentioned in the article too that there were several management positions that people left and they just didn't fill them they were just like they didn't have managers like those are the kinds of things uh that would help with communication um and and i think that's like the key right now for like the the thing in front of them that they can fix quickest and most effectively that would provide the biggest change i think at naughty dog right now is just better management hire producers get managers and stop making people rely on each other because even in my role like i'm learning right now project management techniques but like i'm not a project manager I do some things very, very well, and I'm really good at what I do, but I'm not necessarily good at managing those projects. I need someone else to be able to like look at things over there and be like, hey, Chad, you have this. We can connect that with that over there, and you guys can work together. It's like, oh, my God, yeah, I wish I could have seen that myself. But So they need management, and uh, the rest of it is all something that we as an industry have to figure out how to solve, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime relatively soon, but I'm optimistic that as long as these stories keep coming out, that as long as we're aware of it and we keep pressuring them as, a, as consumers, that they will want to change it. And I think that's where these mm-hmm. are really valuable stories and really valuable Twitter exchanges and things like that. Yeah. I, I've been kind of, when I read the story, I was kind of thinking about like, how can I play my part in that? So we talk about it, but I'm going to buy The Last of Us Part Two in May, and that right. sends the wrong message. And I'm thinking, but if I was thinking, like, should I boycott it? I really want to play it, but it might be important to make that statement. But like, but that's going to hurt the developer because if I don't buy that game, that's going to hurt their bonus. And I, right. I kind of all these people that hated working on it that are waiting for their bonus. If everyone yeah. boycotts it, like, fuck. Well, what did I wait around for? What did they suffer another six months for? Exactly. And I think the best thing, at least for me, what I think the best thing to do is wait two weeks to buy it. Just I'm gonna wait two weeks to to play this game. I mean, specifically to buy it. I'm not gonna give the money for two weeks because I don't want to say like "fuck you, Naughty Dog." Because I still like the games they make. I yeah. understand that it's not like an oppressive culture. It's just people who are really passionate that leads to very high standards, which can be hard to maneuver around. I totally get that, uh, and I don't want to hurt the employees that are there. And it's this conundrum. I think a two week of like, hey, I'm not gonna play the game for two week is like a good shot across the bow. Like, hey. I'm still going to support you, but I need to let you know that this isn't right, that I don't approve of this. Um, That's what I'm going to do about this. And I know I'm one person, but I feel like I I will feel good if I do that. I feel like I've done something. Um, I think it's a really interesting compromise. I won't be able to do it for sure. I'm (laughs) going to play this game day one. I'm going to take off work to do it. Um, But I, yeah, for me, for me personally, I, there are so many people on this, working on this game that fucking mm-hmm. love what they do and are so proud of their work that I, I don't feel like I, yeah. I feel like I'm able 
personally to to separate like what my money means to the company versus what their culture is. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I get my if I give my money to them day one, that doesn't necessarily impact the way that their culture. It shouldn't either. The way that their culture works, like that's something that should be exposed and worked on, regardless of how financials come out for this game. And I don't know if if monetarily depriving them of anything like that, the workers as well as the company, uh, mm-hmm. is the is the way that I want to to make that message known. And that's kind of where my debate was because I'm like, I still want to play the game. I don't want to hurt them. And that's why I said on the two weeks, like they're still going to get the money. That's not going to impact their bonuses because it's still like within that period, roughly of. Uh, where they'll see how the sales went. I thought about going as high as a month, but I'm like, I know I can't do that. Come on. <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. But I, I that think means you're like, going to be trying to play weeks. this game during E3. No, after E3. It comes out May 29th. Yeah, E3 and the next is week the is E3, 13th, and the week after the fir- that. No, oh, you're uh, right, it'll be two weeks. Yeah, then I'll wait three weeks. That'll be three <laughs> weeks. So, yeah, I'll wait three weeks then, because you're right, I definitely don't want to interfere with E3. That's V important. But I think that and this is like one of those really tough issues that is only really going to get fixed by the industry talking to each other and kind of sharing best practices. Something that Phil Spencer talked to a few weeks ago or about a month ago, um, just saying that you know we need to have events like GDC that are very developer focused and aren't these like trade shows or aren't like conventions like it's specifically designed for Bungie a, a company who has eradicated crunch to stand up and share hey this is how we got to that it was a 10 year journey but we did it and we believe anyone else can do it i've been seeing this this uh i, I guess you'd call it a meme of good games or crunch equals good games and I'm like, no, that's not true. Nintendo doesn't crunch, and they make some of the greatest masterpieces ever made in gaming, like, period. Destiny 2 is an incredibly good game. Might not be my favorite game, but obviously it's an incredibly well-executed game with high standards. It's one of the best shooters out there. No crunch used in making that game. It's absolutely possible, but it's just going to come from sharing those best practices. Because I'm sure, like, you're a manager at Naughty Dog. It's hard to say, oh, yeah, this is exactly what we have to do to get rid of this problem. It's not that easy. Yeah. But I really hope that transparency and communication can help kind of alleviate some of this. Because it might get really bad if they don't. And in this case, like, I kind of got concerned about Naughty Dog. Because I'm reading this going, they're losing a lot of senior people. They're bringing in a lot of juniors who are not up to par for to the other senior employees that they're replacing. And I would hate to see a diminishing quality of titles coming out of Naughty Dog because of this, not because they don't care, but because their culture is just, it's too demanding. Right. But then you see the flip side of it, like the parts that were crunching the most for that demo in September, 2018 were all the things we were talking about afterwards. Oh my God. Did you see the contextual animations? Like exactly. They feel justified. Like that team Mm -hmm. Like literally, people went to the hospital for exhaustion afterwards. But that's also what made the entire gaming industry light up. Mm-hmm. It, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. I'm not an economist. I'm not an ecologist. I'm not an oncologist. <laughs> None of that has anything to do with game design. But it's definitely something that we should definitely we could, we should keep pressuring people to do treat their workers better. Yeah, and manage and manage them well. God, I, I wish there was a fix for it that we should could just snap our fingers and just say, "Oh, y'all, management." Just stop it is tough it's not easy yep yep speaking of not easy we're gonna move on to a hard game on game on game show a game on a game show we play Uh-oh. a game called game on the game show game 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 
This week we have a new version or a new a new game that we're gonna play. Uh, it's oh, a quick this is one. News to me. It's a quick one, which is good because we're almost at two hours, which I think is maybe yeah. the longest just us podcast we've had. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. This game is called "Does a Shittier Version Exist?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, there once upon a time, and still to this day, was a time when AAA games would come out on like premier platforms. Today, think of PS4, Xbox One. And then you would see a really shitty watered down or like maybe sometimes even a completely different version, but by the same name version of it on, I don't know, maybe a Switch. Uh, it's like uh, when Taken came out, Nicolas Cage had stolen. <laughs> that came out after that. Kind of like that, yeah. yeah. So in this one, I'm going to name 10 games, 10 mm-hmm. games that you will recognize. And I want you to let me know, did a shittier version of this exist on the Game Boy? specifically Game Boy, Game Boy Color, or Game Boy Advance. Oh, this is going to be tough because I don't know a lot about the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance libraries, so let's let's see how this goes. So you'll be maybe surprised at what did and what didn't, what almost did uh, make it to Game Boy from these AAA franchises. Oh, so does it have to be the same franchise? It has to be the same game. Okay, okay, now I get where you're coming from, okay. Yeah. My Taken Stolen like, reference is Doom Eternal irrelevant. is coming out on PS4, you also get a slightly less better Doom Eternal on Switch. Like, it has I to totally... be the same game. Okay, I know exactly what you mean now. I might not be as bad at this, because I know okay. some of these, okay. I think. Not just like, oh, did like Jurassic World Park Builder come out on Game Boy Pocket when Jurassic yeah. Park something else came out? No, it has to be the same game. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Number one, Max Payne. No. Max Payne did come to Game Boy Advance. <laughs> really? Yep. Max Payne was With released bullet on Game time Boy and everything in glorious right 2D. Yep, right alongside <laughs> uh, the original release. That's hysterical. Uh, yep. Next up, Perfect Dark. I'm going to say yes because that was on N64. And Game Boy was out then, and I can see them doing it. I'm going to say yes for this one. Yes, that was also a Game Boy Advance release. Perfect Dark was released on Game Boy Advance. Uh, next up, Metal Gear Solid. Yes, that had a Game Boy version. No. They didn't even port over the... Well, so here's the thing. Count, then. Here's they the thing. ported over the older games. This was a little count. bit of a trick. There yeah. was a Game Boy game, a Game Boy Color game called Metal Gear Solid. And it was released... Kind of alongside, not alongside, but like shortly after Metal Gear Solid, the PlayStation game. Uh, It was not the same game, did not tell the same story. It was an alternate sequel to the very first Metal Gear game. Oh, okay. So it technically was not the same game. So it's not a shittier version of Metal Gear Solid. It's just a different game by the same name. So, no, you got one out of three so far. Oh, hold on. Killing it. Yep. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. You got that one. Next up is Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. I That was a PlayStation game, but it was also an Xbox as well, right? It was. It was multi-platform. I'm going to say yes, there was. Correct. Yes. Prince of Persia, Sands of Time came out on Game Boy Advance. 100%. No, Chrono Trigger right now. I got two out of four. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chrono Trigger. What's this? That was SNES, right? SNES came out on PlayStation as well with a legacy, not a legacy collection, but yeah, SNES. 
then I'm going to say yes, because I know they can put SNES games on a Game Boy, because they did that with uh, Super Mario World, and they also did that with Link to the Past. I'm going to say yes for this one. While many SNES games were remade for Game Boy Advance, Chrono Trigger was not one of them. It never came really? to Game Boy Interesting. Advance. Yep. Um, next up is Jet Grind Radio. You mean Jet Set Radio? Jet Grind Radio. They're different games. Oh, I hadn't even heard of it. So I'm going to say... It's, it's basically the same game, but different games. Then I'm going to say no in this case. Yes, Jet Grind Radio also came to Game Boy Advance. <laughs> uh, we've got next up The Sims 2. Oh, yeah, that even came to the DS. That was on everything. The DS was after Game Boy. I know, but, but yes. I'm saying even the DS had a version of The Sims. So I'm going to say yes. They try to put that on everything. Yes, came out on, on Game Boy Advance as well. You've got three so far. Then we've got, um, get out of here, fucking Nat, fucking Nat, Grand Theft Auto. No, because Chinatown Wars was the first Grand Theft Auto game on a Nintendo system. Grand Theft Auto came out on Game Boy Advance. Really? Yep. Really, it did. That's baffling to me. Okay, I always thought Chinatown Wars was the first because that was an Nintendo DS exclusive exclusive game for a period. Right. Yeah. And then came to PSP. That was a good game, by the way. Uh, we have two more left, I think. Yeah, two more left. Diablo. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea. Sure, it did. No. Although there was a prequel game for uh, that Blizzard was working on, a prequel to Diablo that they wanted to put, and they were trying to decide, do we put it on the Game Boy Color or the Game Boy Advance? And they were taking a page out of Pokemon's book. When Pokemon came out with red and blue and yellow and they wanted to sell separate copies, they were going to make Diablo three different games. And depending on which game you got, you played as the rogue, the warrior, or the wizard. So your character class was the one that you bought. That That's terrible. That's an yeah. awful idea. Uh, so no, it never did, although there are like prototypes and like screenshots you can find of like the game that it would have been. And then our last one, Resident Evil. No. Correct. Was a very confident no, as you can Correct. tell. Resident Evil did not come to any Game Boy systems, although there was one pretty far into development. There are screenshots of this as well that was a, like literally the same Resident Evil game from the same perspectives and things like that. Uh, it got canned for Resident Evil Gaiden, which was uh, a game with Leon on a boat or something like that. That sounds stupid. Yeah. So you got one, two, three, four, five, six out of ten correct. Congratulations. That's I'm actually 60%. amazed I did that mediocrely. <laughs> yeah, I'm proud of you. I thought uh, it was going to do a lot worse. I thought it was going to do a lot worse. That's it for Game on Game Show, and that's it for our episode today, episode 152 of Respawn Aim Fire, an affable idiot's podcast. Uh, a couple of things for you guys. Go subscribe to everything. The links are in the notes, the show notes on YouTube, on podcast services. Just open them up, go tap on the links, and subscribe to everything. Uh, and the barf of our month, backlog accomplishment with Respawn and friends, is Bioshock Infinite with the Barrel at Sea DLC included. Go play that. Great game. I can say that because I've already played it. So uh, we'll hold off on everyone else's opinions until later. And then if you want to play with us every week on Game Nights, if you want to influence what we play for Barth every single month, or if you want dope wallpapers, go to patreon.com slash fire. Give us $1 or above, and you get all that good shit. And then finally, 
talk to us. Just communicate with us. We love interacting with our audience. So at Responding Fire on Twitter, if you want to do anything, you go out, buy us a, a boat, and then refund it because we don't accept gifts. That's our, our policy at Affable Idiots is we don't accept <laughs> gifts. Um, but maybe take a picture of the boat before you return it. Send that to us on Twitter. That's it. Uh, thank you. And until next week, here's our usual sign-off. <laughs> Uh, something about milk and movies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>